This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Rahman al-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wal-aqibatu lil-muttaqeen. Wal-a'udwana illa ala al-zalimeen. Wa-ashadu an la ilaha illa Allahu wahdahu la sharika lahu waliyu al-salihin. وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله النبي المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So today is the 22nd day of Ramadan of the year 1441 of the Hijrah of our Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and therefore this is the 22nd sitting of the reading and commentary of Tafsir al-Jalalain by its two authors, Jalaluddin al-Mahalli and Jalaluddin al-Suyuti alihima rahmatullahi ta'ala. And yesterday we stopped at verse number 32 of Surah Yasin, so at the beginning of the 23rd juz of the Qur'an. But before we go on to that, just a um, slight clarification, something that I didn't comment on yesterday towards the end, in verse number 30, of Surah Yasin, wherein Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya hasratan ala al-ibad, alas for my slaves. And the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, says, Those and their like who denied the messengers sent to them and were destroyed. This is a vocal expression indicating very great pain. And so the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not that the pain comes from Him, Jalla fi ula. Allah azza wa jal is not the one who is in pain. Or is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying about the situation of the disbelievers, how much pain they will be in. So it is a comment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commenting on the situation of the believers. Not that it is Allah who experiences pain because of them, or is in some pain because of their misguidance or their punishment, but it is a statement of Allah showing how much pain they will be in. Does that make sense? So that is the clarification that I wanted to make, because the verse can... Uh, be misunderstood otherwise. As And this uh, tafsir was mentioned by Shaykh Abdurrahman in Sa'di, rahimahullah, amongst others from amongst the scholars of tafsir. So, inshallah, today we, we're going to continue with the reading of Surah Yasin and we begin with verse, or from verse, we continue with verse 33. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alhamdulillah, Nawabil Alameen, wa sallallahu wa sallam, wa baruk ala alayhina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. اللهم اغفر لشيخنا ولوالدينا ولجميع المسلمين أما بعد قال المصنف رحمه الله تعالى في تفسير قوله تعالى أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وآية لهم الأرض الميتة أحييناها وأخرجنا منها حبا فمنه يأكلون A sign evidence of the resurrection for them is the dead land but as ميتة and ميت and mayyata, which we bring to life and forms from which, after mixing it with water, we bring forth grain, meaning wheat, of which they eat. In this verse, verse number 33, the reading is mayta and mayyita. Mayyita with a kasra, mayyita. وَجَعَلْنَا فِيهَا جَنَّاتٍ مِّن نَخِيلٍ وَأَعْنَابٍ وَفَجَّرْنَا فِيهَا مِنَ الْعُيُونَ we place in it gardens of dates and grapes and cause springs to gush out in some of it. So they may eat its fruits, read as thamarihi and thumurihi, the fruit of the palm and other plants. 
They did not do it themselves, meaning they did not create the fruits themselves. So, will they not be thankful for Allah's blessings? In verse number 35, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about a number of his signs as a proof and evidence of his right to be worshipped subhanahu wa ta'ala. In verse number 35, Allah says, So they may eat its fruits. And then Allah says, The ma in Arabic language can come with different meanings. It is a word of the Quran or a word in the Arabic language that depending on the context can come with different meanings. From those contexts is that it can be a question. So when you say, for example, ma hadha, what is this? That is a question. It is the same ma. In this verse, there are two opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir as to what the ma refers to. The first of them is as the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, says that the ma is nafia, it is negation, meaning that they eat from the fruits and they did not do it themselves. They had nothing to do with those fruits and the making of those fruits and the creation of those fruits. That is the first meaning as the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, has chosen here, as you can see. And this is the position also that was taken by Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, in the meaning of this verse. The second one, which is the position also of a number of scholars of tafsir, and amongst them an Imam al-Tabari, is that the meaning is ma mawsula, meaning that they may eat from its fruits and what they did themselves in order to cultivate those fruits. So in the first reading that I gave you, they have nothing to do with it. It is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the second reading, no, they have something to do with it as well, because they plant the seed and they water the, the, the ground and they, and they harvest the crop and so on. And so both of those meanings are correct in this tafsir. سبحان الذي خلق الأزواج كلها مما تنبت الأرض ومن أنفسهم ومما لا يعلمون Glory be to him who created all the pairs, meaning species, from what the earth produces, in terms of grains and other things, and from males and females among themselves and from things unknown to them, strange and wondrous creatures about which they do not know. وآية لهم الليل نسلخ منه النهار فإذا هم مظلمون a sign, meaning evidence of Allah's immense power, for them is the night. We peel the day away, meaning separate it from it, and there they are in darkness. And the sun runs to its resting place. The sun is a sign for them on its own, or in an aspect of the previous sign. The moon is also a sign. That is the decree of the Almighty in His kingdom, the all-knowing of His creation. وَالْقَمَرَ قَدَّرْنَاهُ مَنَازِلَ حَتَّى عَادَكَ الْعُوْدُونِ الْقَدِيمِ And we have decreed 28 set phases for the moon, read as الْقَمَرَ and الْقَمَرُ each month until it ends up looking like an old palm spade. It is concealed for two nights if the month is 30 days and one night if it is 29. And then it appears to the eye like a curved yellow old palm spade. لَالشَّمْسُ يَنْبَغِي لَهَا أَنْ تُدْرِكَ الْقَمَرَ وَلَلَّيْنُ سَابِقُ النَّهَارِ It is not for the sun to overtake the moon in the night, nor for the night to outstrip the day, and come before the end of the day. وَكُلُّمْ فِي فَلَكٍ يَسْبَحُونَ Each one, meaning each luminous body, the sun, moon and stars, is swimming in a sphere, meaning an orbit. The form of the verb used here is that usually reserved for sentient creatures. In verse number 40, Allah says, وَكُلٌّ فِي فَلَكِ يَسْبَحُونَ Allah says that each one of them is swimming in its own sphere, in its own orbit. And the author Ta'ala says that the form of the verb used here is the one that is reserved for intelligent beings or sentient creatures. And that is because Allah says, يَسْبَحُونَ And not سَابِحَاتْ or يَسْبَحْنَا he doesn't use the feminine form even though the sun and the moon and uh, the stars and so on are not sentient beings. 
But Allah Azza wa uses Yasbahun, which is the male plural form, which is usually reserved for intelligent beings, because in this context the sun and the moon are obedient to Allah and they are obedient to His commands. So in that sense, they are they resemble sentient beings. They obey Allah's commands and they listen to Him subhanahu wa ta'ala and it's as if they are like us as humans who hear and obey the commands of Allah Azza wa And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to them in that form. That is what the author is referring to. وَآيَةٌ لَهُمْ أَنَّا حَمَلْنَا ذُرِّيَّتَهُمْ فِي الْفُلْكِ الْمَشْحُونَ A sign for them of the power of Allah is what we carried their families read as ذُرِّيَّة in the singular and ذُرِّيَّات in the plural here meaning ancestors in the laden ship meaning the Ark of North In verse 41 Allah Azza wa Jal says وَآيَةٌ لَهُمْ أَنَّا حَمَلْنَا ذُرِّيَّتَهُمْ فِي الْفُلْكِ الْمَشْحُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says a sign for them is that we carried their families and the word dhurriya in Arabic language usually when it comes in the Quran as well means what? it means children descendants fi in the laden ship why did the translators say families instead of children? the issue here is what the author Ta'ala mentions at the end of the verse and that is that he says that the ship that is being referred to here is the ark of Nuh alayhi salatu was salam and that is the position of the majority of the scholars of tafsir including Ibn Kathir and At-Tabari from amongst the most famous of them. Uh, and I usually, as you probably noticed now 20 odd days in, when I'm giving a commentary of the tafsir, I usually focus on those two scholars as well as others, but usually Imam At-Tabari and Ibn Kathir, alayhim rahmatullah, and I heard some of our shaykh saying that just as in hadith you have muttafaqun alayh, you have two scholars that agree, meaning Bukhari and Muslim in hadith, and it's the most authentic of hadith. Then likewise, when At-Tabad and Ibn Kathir, alayhi rahmatullah, agree, it's also muttafaqun alayhi in terms of tafsir, meaning that it is something which you can put a lot of stock in, in terms of it being the correct understanding of the verse. From, uh, that's a, that was a tangent, but the point here being that many of the scholars of tafsir hold that the ark, of the ship that is being referred to in verse number 41 is the ship of Nuh alayhi salatu wassalam. That is the sign that Allah is giving. From the signs that Allah gives to you is the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved and carried Nuh alayhi salatu wassalam in the flood. So therefore, if that is the understanding, then the understanding of the word dhurriyah that we carried for them, their families, is no longer families. But what it means is aba. We carried their forefathers. Because otherwise it doesn't make sense. How can Allah carry our families in the Ark of Nuh that was thousands of years before? So therefore the word Dhurriyah in this context, if the understanding of the verse, which is the position of the majority of the scholars, is that it is referring to the Ark of Nuh then the word Dhurriyah is not families anymore, but rather it is the sign that we carry your forefathers in a laden ship, meaning the Ark of Nuh That is one position. And as I said, it is the is the position of the majority. The second position is know that it's referring to a ship, any ship. It is from the signs of Allah that He created, allowed you to create and manufacture ships that float on the ocean and sea and they carry you from place to place. And if you take that second tafsir, then the translation of the riyah as families or descendants or children is a correct one. And so both of those opinions are mentioned in the books of tafsir and in the works of tafsir. The position, however, of the majority, as Al-Mahali rahimahullah himself has chosen, the author, is that it refers to the Ark of Noah, in which case the Dhurriyah in this context is no longer families and children and wives, but it is your ancestors and your forefathers. And Allah knows best. 
وَخَلَقْنَا لَهُمْ مِنْ مِثْلِهِ مَا يَرْكَبُونَ And we have created for them the like of it, meaning Nuh's ark, similar ships, large and small, which they make in the same form thanks to Allah's teaching them how to do so, in which they sail. And then in verse 42 is the continuation of that. وَخَلَقْنَا لَهُمْ مِنْ مِثْلِهِ مَا يَرْكَبُونَ We have created for them the likes of it in which they sail. If we take again the tafsir that it is Nuh salam's ark, Allah is saying, and after Nuh's ark, there are many other ships that are similar to it that you use. So just as Nuh salam had an ark, after that for many generations until our time today and so on, people have always used ships in order to travel upon the sea. On the other tafsir, however, that it's not referring to the ark of Nuh salam, or even if it is referring to the ark of Nuh salam, the other tafsir that some of the scholars of the Salaf had, is that it refers to the animals of the land. And we have created for them the likes of it, in which, upon which they sail, if you take the tafsir of it being ships. Yarkab means to embark upon. So therefore it can be referring to, uh, referring to animals. And the scholars who chose this opinion say that it refers to, in particular, the camel. Because the camel, as they say, is safinatul bar. It is the ship of the desert. Because of the, the amount of time that it can go without needing water and the great distances that it can cover. And so, you have both of those tafasir as well. The point here being though that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us these signs. Whether we say it is the ships in general, or the ark of Nuh salam, or then other ships similar to it, or the camels that Allah has created for people to travel in the desert and on the land, just as they travel upon the ships on the sea. وَإِن نَّشَأْ نُغْرِقْهُمْ فَلَا صَرِيخَ لَهُمْ وَلَا هُمْ يُنقَذُونَ If we wished, we could drown them in spite of the existence of the ships, with no one to hear their cry for help, and then they would not be saved. إِلَّا رَحْمَةً مِّنَّا وَمَتَاعًا إِلَى حِينَ Except as an act of mercy from us to give them enjoyment for a time. Nothing could save them except for our mercy to them, and then they would only enjoy the pleasures of life until the end of their decreed lifespans. وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمُ اتَّقُوا مَا بَيْنَ أَيْدِيكُمْ وَمَا خَلْفَكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُرْحَمُونَ They are told, be fearful of what is before you, meaning punishment in this world, like what happened to others before you, and behind you, meaning the punishment coming in the next world, so that perhaps you may have mercy shown to you, and your wrong actions may be overlooked. وَمَا تَأْتِيهِمْ مِنْ آيَةٍ مِنْ آيَاتِ رَبِّهِمْ إِلَّا كَانُوا عَنْهَا مُعْرِضِينَ not one of your Lord's signs comes to them without their turning away from it. وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ أَنْفِقُوا مِمَّا رَزَقَكُمُ اللَّهُ قَالَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَنُطْعِمُ مَنْ لَوْ يَشَاءُ اللَّهُ أَطْعَمَهُ And when they are told by the poor among the companions, spend on us from the provision of wealth Allah has given you, those who disbelieve say in mockery to those who believe, why should we feed someone whom, according to your belief, if you wished, Allah would feed himself. إِنْ أَنْتُمْ إِلَّا فِي ضَلَالٍ مُّبِينَ You are clearly in error. This is an explicit statement of their unbelief. وَيَقُولُونَ مَتَى هَذَا الْوَعْدُ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ And they say, when will this promise of the resurrection come about if you are telling the truth about it? مَا يَنْظُرُونَ إِلَّا صَيْحَةً وَاحِدَةً تَأْخُذُهُمْ وَهُمْ يَخِصِّمُونَ Allah says, what are they waiting for but one great blast? The first blast of the trumpet by Israfil to seize them while they are quibbling, read as Yahisrimun and Yahsimun. This means that they are heedless of it because they are involved in quibbling, selling, eating, drinking and other things. 
فلا يستطيعون توصية ولا إلى أهلهم يرجعون. They will not be able to make a will or return to their families from their markets and business. They will die there. The trumpet will be blown. This refers to the second blast of the trumpet for the resurrection. There will be 40 years between the two blasts. And at once they will be sliding swiftly from their graves towards their Lord. In verse 51, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, The trumpet will be blown. And the author ta'ala says that it is the second trumpet because in verse 49, he mentioned the first blowing, ما ينظرون إلا صيحة واحدة. And we mentioned before the uh, position of some of the scholars, including Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala, that said, who said that the blowing of the trumpets of Yom Al-Qiyamah is three. There will be three blowings of the trumpets. And others from amongst the scholars of Islam said that there are two, two blowings of the trumpet. And that seems to be the position taken by the author here as well, rahimahullah ta'ala. And one of the evidences supporting that it is two is the hadith that he mentions, which is the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, that when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam spoke about the two blowings of the trumpet of Yom Al-Qiyamah, he was asked, O Messenger of Allah, how long between the two? He said, 40. 40. The narrator asked the companion, did he mean 40 days? And the companion said, I, I won't respond. And then he asked him, Do you, did he mean 40 months? And he said, I won't respond. Then he said, did he mean 40 years? He said, I won't respond. Meaning, the Prophet ﷺ didn't define, is it 40 days, 40 months, or 40 years? So Bukhari refused to also stipulate whether it was 40 days, months, or years. However, the position of many of the scholars of tafsir, as you can see, is chosen by Al-Mahalli, rahimahullah, and it's the position of Imam Al-Tabari, and amongst them Al-Qurtubi, and Al-Shawkani, and others, is that it refers to 40 years. That is the time between the two blowings of the trumpet. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. They, meaning the unbelievers among them, will say, Alas for us. Alas on account of our destruction. The word for alas, wail, is a verbal noun for which there is no actual verbal form. Who has raised us from our resting place? They say this because between the two blasts, they were unconscious and not being punished. This resurrection is what the All-Merciful promised us. The messengers were telling the truth. They will affirm what the messengers said at a time when, when that will be of no avail to them. It is also said that those words will be said to them. In verse 52, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the disbelievers will say upon resurrection, Ya waylana man ba'athana min Alas for us, and we said before that the word wail means to call upon destruction upon yourself who has raised us from our resting place and the scholars of tafsir differ here as to what is being referred to here the first position is the one that is not mentioned by al-mahalli the one that's not mentioned in his book the other position is that it's referring to the rising from the graves who raised us from our resting place meaning our place of uh, in our graves where we were before who raised us from that place? That's the first interpretation. The second one, the one that is chosen by Al-Mahalli, rahimahullah, is the position of Mujahid, and Al-Hasan al-Basri, and Qatada, alayhim rahmatullah, amongst others, is that it refers to the, the time lap between the, uh, when Allah Azza wa resurrects someone, and when he, when he holds them to account. And that is, that they say that there will be a period of time in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will place upon them a type of sleep. A type of sleep. And so during that sleep, 
time and Allah knows best if that's the point between the 40 years between the two blasts or something else that Allah Azza is referring to but then they say that there will be a period of unconsciousness and resting place, a resting time in which there will be nothing and that is when they will be resurrected the second time when the trumpet is blown and that is why they will say مَنْ بَعَثَنَا مِنْ مَرْقَدِنَا and the word marqad means a place of rest and that's why these scholars said that it's not the grave because many of the disbelievers will not be resting in their graves. They will be punished. So for them then to say, who, is, who caused us to rise from our resting place, for them it is not a place of rest or a place of comfort. However, this sleep that Allah will place upon his creation for a limited period of time, that is what they will be referring to and Allah knows best. Allah says, هذا ما وعد الرحمن وصدق المرسلون The position of Al-Tabari ibn Kathir and many of the scholars of Tafsir is that this is the response of the believers to the disbelievers to their question who caused us to awake from our resting place they will say it is what Allah has promised us and what his messengers were speaking the truth regarding another from amongst the scholars of Tafsir as Al-Mahali points to at the end of his commentary it is also said that those words will be said to them. That's the opinion of At-Tabari bin Kathir. The first opinion that he chooses is that they speak to themselves, one to another. They say, who raised us? And others from amongst them reply. The position of At-Tabari bin Kathir is that they ask the question and it is the believers that reply because of their iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and their belief about the resurrection. إن كانت إلا صيحة واحدة فإذا هم جميع لدينا محضرون. It will be but one great blast and they will all be summoned to our presence. فاليوم لا تظلم نفس شيئا ولا تجزون إلا ما كنتم تعملون. Today no self will be wronged in any way. You will only be repaid for what you did. إن أصحاب الجنة اليوم في شغل فاكهون. The companions of the garden are busy, read as شغلين and شغلين, enjoying themselves today, made oblivious to what the people of the fire are suffering by the delights they are enjoying, such as consorting with virgins. There is no occupation in which they become tired, because there is no weariness in the garden. It will be in absolute bliss. In verse number 55, Allah Azza wa says, إن أصحاب الجنة اليوم في شغلين فاكهون. The companions of the garden are busy enjoying themselves today. And as Al-Mahalli mentioned in his tafsir, this is the tafsir of the majority of the scholars of tafsir. And that is that the meaning of the word shughl, which means to become busy and preoccupied, is that they will be busy with the delights and the blessings of Jannah and it will occupy them from paying any mind or attention to the people of the fire and the punishment that they are suffering. And that is to add increased humiliation and punishment upon the people of the fire that they are completely forgotten. Not only that Allah will ignore them, that the angels will refuse to converse with them, but even the people of Jannah, who from amongst them may well be relatives and loved ones and friends and people that they were close to in one way or another in the dunya, they will be completely oblivious to them and the punishment that they are referring to as well. Because as we know, sometimes when you're going through a difficult time, the fact that other people are thinking about you, the fact that other people you're in their thoughts and in their prayers and in their mind is sometimes a solace helps you to know that people care for you, that they're thinking of you. In the people in Yom Al-Qiyamah, the people of the fire don't even have that. Allah will not allow the believers to think of them in that way. And Allah knows best. <coughs> they and their wives reclining in couches. The word used refers to a couch or a bed in an alcove. 
in the shade, away from the direct impact of the sun. They will have fruits there and enjoy whatever they request. Peace, a word from a merciful Lord. This is what he says to them, meaning, peace be upon you. Keep yourselves apart today, you evildoers, meaning separate yourselves from the believers. This is when they are mixed together. أَلَمْ أَعْهَدْ إِلَيْكُمْ يَا بَنِي آدَمَ أَنْ لَا تَعْبُدُوا الشَّيْطَانَ إِنَّهُ لَكُمْ عَدُوٌ مُّبِينٌ Did I not make a contract with you, tribe of Adam, and command you on the tongues of my messengers not to worship and obey shaytan, who truly is an outright clear enemy to you? وَأَنِ اعْبُدُونِي But to worship and obey me, affirming my unity. هَذَا صِرَاطٌ مُسْتَقِيمٌ That is a straight path. وَلَقَدْ أَضَلَّ مِنْكُمْ he has led huge numbers, read as Jibillan and Jubulan, of you into error. Why did you not use your intellect and see his enmity and misguidance, or the punishment which befell your predecessors and so believe? This will be said to them in the next world. This is the hell that you were promised. Roast in it today because you are unbelievers. Today we seal off there, meaning the unbelievers' mouths. When they say, By Allah, our Lord, we were not idolaters. And their hands speak to us. And their feet bear witness to what they have earned, meaning each of their limbs will speak and say what it did. In verse 65, Allah says, Today we will seal up their mouths. And this is when the people of the fire and the disbelievers will ask for the proof to be established against them and upon them and it will be established by their prophets and their messengers and by the record of their deeds and everything else. But still, some of them will refuse to accept. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to them, Why, what do you think if you... Uh, bear witness upon yourselves and this has come before in another verse of the Quran what if you bear witness against your own selves and they will say then we will accept our Allah thinking that they will never speak against their own selves they will never testify verbally against their own selves and so Allah will seal up their mouths because it is not their tongues that will testify but their limbs and their feet and their hands and their limbs will speak as to what they saw and what they heard and what they touched and what they walked towards and what they did and that's why in the verse that we already covered, they will say then, They will say to their bodies, why did you testify against us? Meaning, we're going to go into the fire because of what you said about us. And so Allah says, It is Allah who gave the ability for everything to speak. He gave us the ability to speak as well. If we wished, we could put out their eyes and blind them. <coughs> then, though they might race for the path as it was their custom to do, how would they see it then? They would not be able to. <coughs> if we wished, we could transform them into monkeys and pigs or into stones where they stand. Read as makanatihim in the singular and makanatihim in the plural, meaning in their homes. So they would neither be able to go out nor return. 
When we grant long life, read as نُنَكِّسْهُ and then كُسْهُ to people, we return them to their primal state. So that after strength and youth comes weakness and senility. أَفَلَا يَعْقِلُونَ So, will they not use their intellect? Read as يَعْقِلُونَ and تَعْقِلُونَ Will you not use? Meaning, will you not understand that it is known that the one who has the power to do that has the power to resurrect you? Then you should believe. In this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَن نُعَمِّرْهُ In verse 68, وَمَن نُعَمِّرْهُ نُنَكِّسْهُ فِي الْخَلْقِ Allah Azza wa Jalla says, when we grant some of them long life, we will return them to their original state. Nankus means to go backwards. So as we've mentioned before, and Allah has referred to in other verses of the Qur'an, that a person starts off weak, and a person starts off without having the ability to do much, and then Allah Azza wa gives them strength, and Allah Azza wa gives them the ability to use their body to the maximum ability that they have, then نُنَكِّسْهُ فِي الْخَلْقِ Then they go backwards. So it is a circle, as we mentioned before, that Allah Azza wa says He brings you out as children, then you reach maturity and you fall to adulthood and strength, and then you return to old age and to weakness again. We did not teach him, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, poetry, nor would it be right for him. This refutes their claim that the Qur'an is poetry. Poetry is not easy for him. It is simply a reminder and a clear Qur'an. A recitation which makes clear divine judgments and other things. In verse 16, Allah says that the Prophet ﷺ was not a poet, nor did he know poetry. And it is only on few occasions and rare occasions that the Prophet ﷺ would recite maybe a single verse of poetry. And Ibn Abdul Muttalib, and then Nabiyu La Kadib, and Ibn Abdul Muttalib, and so on. Those are very few in the Sunnah that you will find. The vast majority is that the Prophet didn't know poetry, he wasn't a poet. He could appreciate poetry and he could hear poetry, but he wasn't a poet himself, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And that's why there are narrations when sometimes he would try to recite poetry and he would mix up the verse and the stanza, and it wouldn't make sense. So then Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, one of the other companions would have to correct him and say, O oh, Messenger of Allah, actually this is how it's read. Because even understanding the awzam and the stanza and the way that the poetry should form and rhyme was something which the Prophet wasallam wasn't given the ability to do. And that's not to show that poetry is all evil or bad, as we mentioned at the end of Surah Al-Shu'ara, because Hassan radiallahu anhu, was a poet and the Prophet used to encourage him to do his poetry, to say his poetry, and he told him that Jibreel would help him in doing so. But it is that the Prophet was not given that ability so that they could not make the assertion that the Kuffar of Quraysh made, that he was a poet. And so Allah negates that from him. So that they may warn, read as Yundira and Tundira, you may warn those who are truly alive and understand what is said to them. In other words, the believers. And so that the word, meaning decreeing punishment for them, may be carried out against the unbelievers, who are like the dead who do not understand what is said to them. Have they not seen and grasped how we created for them, meaning mankind, by our own handiwork, without any partner or helper, livestock, camels, cattle, and sheep and goats, which are under their control. The question demands a positive response. We have made them tame for them, and subjected them to them, and some they ride and some they eat. 
And they have other uses, for example, in their wool, fur, and hair, for them, and milk to drink. So, will they not be thankful to the one who has blessed them with these things and therefore believe? In other words, they have not done so. They have taken gods besides Allah, meaning the idols which they worship. So that perhaps they may be helped, meaning defended from the punishment of Allah Almighty by the alleged intercession of their gods. They, meaning their gods, cannot help them even though they are an army mobilized in their support, as they allege. The plural of sentient things is used for them. They will be present with them in the fire. So, do not let their words distress you. They are saying, you are not a messenger, and other such things. We know what they keep secret and what they divulge, and we will repay them for that. Does not man said to refer specifically to Al-As ibn Wa'il to see and know that we created him from a drop of sperm and nurtured him until he was strong, yet there he is, an open antagonist, strongly opposing Allah and clearly denying the resurrection. In verse number 77, the author <coughs> gives for these verses a, a, um, a, a cause of revelation. And that cause of revelation is, as he mentions, the story of As ibn Wa'il, who was one of the leaders of Quraysh. And this is an authentic narration found in the Mustadrak of Imam Hakim and in the Tafsir of Ibn Abi Hatim. And the narration is from Abdullah ibn Abbas, that Al-As ibn Wa'il, who was one of the leaders of Quraysh, went and he took bones that he found in the, in the outskirts of Mecca. And he came to the Prophet وسلم, and as he was crushing the bones and crumbling them between his hands, he says, he said to him, do you claim that these bones that I am grinding and are turning to dust, that we will be resurrected from them? So the Prophet وسلم, said, yes, you were created from that, you will die, then Allah will resurrect you, and for you, Allah will throw you into the fire of hell. And so, that is the notion that Allah Azza then revealed these verses concerning. And similar to this, as we know, is the uh, hadith that we mentioned before of the man who at the time of death tells his children to burn and cremate his body and to scatter his ashes, half of them in the sea and half of them on the land on an extremely blustery day, out of fear that if Allah Azza wa brings him back and resurrects him, that he will punish him in the most severest of ways. And that Allah Azza wa then commands the sea and the land to gather his ashes and he resurrects him subhanahu wa ta'ala, showing that Allah Azza wa has the ability to do so, irrespective of whether that body disintegrates in the ground, is burned to ashes, is lost at sea, is burned in the fire, whatever it may be, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can resurrect them. He makes likenesses of us, attributing divine powers to other things, and forgets his own creation from sperm, which is more extraordinary than the likenesses he makes. Saying, who will give life to bones when they are decayed? It is related that Allah will take the decayed bones and knit them together. Al-As ibn Wa'il asked the Prophet Do you think that Allah will bring this, meaning body of mind, to life after it is decayed and crushed? The Prophet answered, yes, and he will make you enter the fire. Say, he who made them in the first place will bring them back to life. 
He has total knowledge of each created thing, meaning he knows all things in detail and in whole before and after their creation. He who produces fire for you and all mankind from the wood of green trees, the stick of the fire drill of the Arabs which comes from the mulch tree and the athal tree or any tree except the vine. فَإِذَا أَنْتُمْ مِنْهُ تُوْقِدُونَ So that you use them to light your fires, meaning you ignite fires with them. This is further evidence of Allah's power to resurrect. There is both water, fire and wood in it. The water does not extinguish the fire and the fire does not burn up the wood. أَوَلَيْسَ الَّذِي خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ بِقَادِرٍ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَخْلُقَ مِثْلَهُمْ does he who created the heavens and earth in all the immensity not have the power to create the same again, meaning human beings who are far less of a challenge? Bala. Yes, indeed. He indeed has the power to do that. He is the creator using the intensive form, al-khallaq, implying that he creates a great deal. The all-knowing of everything he creates. In verse 81, Allah Azza wa Jal refers to himself subhanahu wa ta'ala as al-khallaq. And on al-khallaq, as the author says, is the more eloquent, intensive form of the name Al-Khaliq. So Khaliq is not just the creator, but the one who is proficient, subhanahu wa ta'ala, in his creation. It is a more intensive form. So Al-Khaliq is the creator, Al-Khaliq is the all proficient in his creation, subhanahu wa ta'ala. His command when he desires to create a thing is just to say to it, be, and it is. But as Yakunu and Yakuna. The Subhanal Levi Biedihi Malakutu Kulli Shayun. Glory be to him who has the dominion of all things in his hand. To him he will be returned in the next world. And in this last verse, verse 83, Allah Allah says, Glory be to him who has the dominion of all things. And the word Malakut is the intensive form of the word Mulk. Just as Jabarut is the intensive form of the word Jabar. Malakut is the intensive form. It still means dominion. But in this sense, because it is the more intensive form, meaning dominion over everything. There is not a single thing except that it falls under the dominion and kingship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Surah Tussafat, those in ranks. This surah is Meccan. It has 182 ayat and was sent down after Al-An'am. So this is the 37th surah of the Qur'an and that is surah as-safat and the word safat is referring to something that lines up in rows. The word saf means a row or a rank and safat are those who line up in rows and in ranks. As the author rahimahullah ta'ala says it is a Meccan surah and that is by ijma' of the scholars of tafsir as mentioned by Ibn Kathir and Al-Qurtubi alayhima rahmatullah and others. By those angels drawn up in ranks, in prayer lines, or on their wings in the air, waiting to see what they will be commanded to do. And by the warners crying warning, the angels who drive along the clouds. And by the reciters of the reminder, meaning the Quran. In these opening verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he begins by taking an oath and this is one of the most common ways that Allah Azza wa begins surahs with by taking an oath and so if you find at the beginning of a surah a wow it is the wow al-qasam the wow of the oath 
And that is common in Arabic language when people say Wallahi, by Allah, that wow at the beginning of that term, Wallahi is known as the wow of an oath, wow al qasim. And Allah takes an oath by many things in the Quran. It is a common opening of the surah. Musafat, Safa, especially in the 30th juz of the Quran, it is very, very common. Shamsi wa duhaha wa duha wa fajr wa sama'i dhati buruj wa sama'i wa tariq. There are many surahs of the Quran that are open with an oath. So it is a common thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He takes an oath, it is different from us. For us, we can only take an oath by Allah or by one of His names or His attributes. So we can't say, for example, I can't take an oath by my father, I can't take an oath by my mother, I can't take an oath by any other thing that is a creation of Allah. For us, it is a point of our tawheed that we only take our oath by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or something that is ascribed to Allah azza wa jal by the Lord of the Kaaba, as the Prophet used to say, by the one in whose hand is my soul, as he would say, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and so on. The for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, however, the oath is for something that He praises and honors, and it is to show its importance. That is the difference. When Allah takes an oath by something, it is to show its honor and status and its importance. So when Allah says, Wal Asr, by the time, it is to show the importance of time. When Allah Azza says, Wal Duha, it is to show the importance of that time of the morning of the day. And so Allah Azza takes it to show importance. The first three verses of Surah Al-Safat, according to many of the scholars of Tafsir, and there is the strongest opinion, refer to the angels. Wasafati Safa, those that line up in ranks, meaning the angels. And it can refer to the prayer because that is mentioned in the hadith in Sahih Muslim, which the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ala Tusufuna Kamatusufun Malaikatu, Inda Rabbiha, will you not stand in your prayer in rows the way that the angels stand in rows? He said, O Messenger of Allah, how do the angels stand in rows? He said that they complete the row and they don't leave gaps between them. They complete the row and they don't leave gaps between them. And that is therefore the sunnah of how to stand in the salah. That you fill in row by row before you start the next one. And you don't leave big gaps, large gaps between you in the sense of something else or someone else will come and stand in between you and the person next to you. Your God is one. Verse number four then is the Jawabul Qasim. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes an oath, just as when we take an oath, the oath needs a response. So when you take an oath, you're taking an oath by something for something. So when I say, Wallahi, by Allah, it's not a complete sentence. Why are you taking an oath? By Allah, I will fast tomorrow. By Allah, I will read the Quran. By Allah, I will go and visit someone. By Allah. And so it needs a response. Otherwise, the qasm is incomplete. The oath is incomplete. So when Allah takes an oath, what is the jawab al qasm? In Surah Safat, it is verse number four. Allah is taking an oath by the angels to show their importance, their honor, their status, because they are the ones that know Allah or see Allah or in the company of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a manner which befits His Majesty. The response of what Allah is taking an oath for is His oneness subhanahu wa ta'ala that your God is one. Lord of the heavens and the earth and everything between them, Lord of the east and the west, which is a reference to the rising and setting of the sun every day. We have adorned the lowest heaven with the beauty of the stars, or the light given by them. 
وَحِفْظًا مِّن كُلِّ شَيْطَانٍ مَارِدٍ And God did it with meteors against every defiant. The word for defiant, marid, means refusing any obedience. Shaytan. لَا يَسْتَمَّعُونَ إِلَى الْمَلَئِ الْأَعْلَى They, meaning the shayateen, cannot eavesdrop. Read as, يَسْتَمَّعُونَ and يَسْمَعُونَ on the highest assembly. A gathering of angels in heaven which is guarded in the way described. وَيُقْذَفُونَ مِنْ كُلِّ جَانِبٍ And they are stoned by meteors from every side of heaven. دُحُورًا Repelled, meaning driven far away and expelled with harshness. وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ وَاصِدٌ They will suffer eternal punishment in the next world. إِلَّا مَنْ خَطِفَ الْخَطَفَةَ فَأَتْبَعَهُ شِهَابٌ ثَاقِبٌ Except for him who passes by and snatches a snippet and then is pursued by a piercing flame. The only one able to eavesdrop is one shaytan who hears a word from the angels and takes it swiftly, but is then pursued by a luminous star to pierce him, burn him, or confuse him. And we mentioned this before from the hadith of the Prophet as to how the jinn go and they take from the news of the heavens and they can only take a single snippet and then they come and they mix it with a hundred lies and that's what they tell to the soothsayers and the fortune tellers. فَاسْتَفْتِهِمْ Ask them, meaning the people of Mecca, for a fatwa, decision. This is for affirmation or for a rebuke. أَهُمْ أَشَدُّ خَلْقًا أَمَّنْ خَلَقُنَا Is it they who are stronger in structure or other things, such as the angels, the heavens and the earth, and what is in them, we have created. إِنَّا خَلَقْنَاهُمْ مِنْ طِينِ اللَّازِبِ We created them in the primary form of Adam, from sticky clay, which sticks to the hand. The implication being that having been created weak, people should not be arrogant by denying the Prophet ﷺ and the Qur'an. That will lead to their quick destruction. No wonder you are surprised. Read as, عَجَبْتَ and عَجَبْتُ Meaning, I am surprised. As they laugh with scorn. This is addressed to the Prophet ﷺ and refers to their denial of him. In verse number 12, the reading is عَجِبْتَ عَجِبْتُ عَجِبْتَ and عَجِبْتُ with a kasra on the jinn. The author, Ta'ala, in the editions that I checked of Tafsir al-Jalalain, doesn't mention the second qira'ah, doesn't mention the other qira'ah. He just mentions bal عَجِبْتَ And I don't know then if that is a different edition of Jalalain that I don't have, or if the translators themselves added the other one, which is عَجِبْتُ I am surprised, meaning referring to Allah Azza wa Either way, it is a correct qira'ah, it is mutawatir, it is the qira'ah of Hamza and Ali and Khalaf. The difference in the two recitations, therefore, is that one is referring to the Prophet ﷺ and the other is referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. بَلْ عَجِبْتَ وَيَسْخَرُونَ You will be surprised at them, meaning their insolence, their disbelief, their obstinance from turning away from Allah Azza It will surprise you how obstinate they are in terms of their turning away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. بَلْ عَجِبْتُ The other qira'ah, which is also a mutawatir qira'ah, is referring to Allah Azza wa Jal and the surprise coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which then leads to the question what does that mean? What does it mean when we say that Allah is surprised? And that is a attribute of Allah Azza wa Jal that is affirmed for him in the Quran and in the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and it is similar to those other attributes that we mentioned before that Allah plots and plans when they plot and plan that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes mockery of them when they try to make mockery of his signs subhanahu wa ta'ala and so this is one of those attributes of Allah Azza wa that we also confirm and affirm for him. And the meaning of ujb or being surprised in the, uh, as it befits Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not the way that we understand being surprised. When we're surprised, it's due to a lack of knowledge. It's due to something being unexpected. 
is due to us not knowing what's going to happen and then it happens and it takes us by surprise. That is not a meaning clearly that is affirmed for Allah Azza wa because Allah knows everything and nothing takes him by surprise subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore what does it mean? If it is mentioned, the, this attribute of Allah Azza wa is mentioned not in retaliation, not in response to something. It's not in response to the way that the disbelievers are acting. It's just mentioned about something generally. Then it means that Allah Azza wa is pleased with something. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala approves of it. And from that is the hadith in Al-Bukhari, which the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, عَجِبَ اللَّهُ مِنْ قَوْمٍ يُقَادُونَ إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ بِالسَّلَاسِمِ Allah is amazed by a group of people who are dragged by chains into Jannah. Meaning that they weren't people who were going to believe and it wasn't something that they were necessarily looking for. But when Iman came to them, they accepted. Not only did they accept, but they became good in their Iman. And so Allah is amazed by them and from them will be the hadith that we will mention in the tafsir of Surah Al-Hashr. The verse when Allah says, khasasa." And that the Prophet said that Allah was amazed by you and your wife's doing last night. And that's a hadith that inshallah we will come to. The point is that it is mentioned as an attribute of Allah In this verse, because it is in response to the way that the disbelievers react, the meaning therefore, and Allah knows best, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just as they are obstinate and turn away from them, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also turn away from them. And that Allah Azza wa is amazed at how much, meaning that he anticipates how much they want to be punished by him subhanahu wa ta'ala. So just as they turn away from Allah Azza wa and turn away from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, likewise Allah Azza wa will leave them in the path that they have chosen and he will see them being punished in that regard. And Allah Azza wa knows best. When they are reminded by means of the Qur'an, they do not pay heed. When they see a sign like the spitting of the moon, they only laugh with scorn and make a mockery of it. They say about it, this is just downright magic. They deny the resurrection. When we are dead and turn to dust and bones, we will then read as Anna and Aina be read Inna and Aina. So one has the question form and the other is a statement. Aina is the question, Inna is just a statement. Will we then be raised up again alive? And our early forefathers as well read as Awa and Awa the question is, will they be among those who are resurrected as well? So in verses 16 and 17, there are either a statement, Inna, right, Allah Azza wa says, Inna, or, and then in verse 17, Aw, Ida mitna wa kunna turabu ibaman, Inna la mab'uthun, Aw abauna, is a statement, or, or if it is with a fatha, Inna, Awa, both of them are question forms. So the first is statement form, and the second is in question form. Say to them, yes, you will be raised up and you will be in a despicable state of abasement. It will be but one great blast after which all creatures will be brought back to life and then their eyes will, be, will open waiting to see what will be done to them. They, meaning the unbelievers, will say, alas for us, referring to the reality they are now facing. 
This is the day of reckoning and repayment. This is the day of decision between creatures which you used to deny. Then the angels will be instructed. Assemble those who did wrong to themselves by committing shirk, together with their associates among the jinn and what, meaning idols, they worshipped. Besides Allah. فَهْدُوهُمْ إِلَىٰ صِرَاطِ الْجَحِيمِ And guide and drive them to the path of the blazing fire. In verse 23, Allah Azza wa says, فَهْدُوهُمْ إِلَىٰ صِرَاطِ الْجَحِيمِ And the word guide or hidayah in this context is as the author, Rahimah Ta'ala, mentions in his commentary. It means to show and to drive them. Guiding, meaning drive them. Meaning not that they will presently show them the way. It means that they will be driven and they will be thrown into the fire. And call them to a halt at the Sirat. They will be asked about all of their words and deeds. They will be rebuked as follows. Why are you not helping one another as you did in your worldly lives? It will be said of them. No, today they come humbled in absolute submission. They will confront each other, questioning one another, blaming and arguing with one another. One group, meaning the followers, will say to those they followed, You used to come at us from a position of power, literally come at us from the right, meaning from a direction which they completely trusted since they swore that they had the truth. That is why they believed them and followed them, but they misled them. And that is the correct tafsir, as Al-Mahali mentions, used to come to us from the right, the right meaning here metaphorically, a position and a place of trust, that we trusted you and we trusted your judgment. That is what is being referred to. The others, meaning those who were followed, will say to their followers, the truth is that you were not believers. You were happy to be misguided. If you had been believers, you would not have believed in us. We had no authority over you to compel you to follow us. Rather, you were unbridled people, misguided like us. Our Lord's word, decreeing punishment, has been carried out against us and is mandatory for all of us. An example of which is Allah's words, I will fill up hell with the jinn and mankind altogether, that we will taste it, meaning the punishment. In verse 31, meaning that what Allah Azza wa made, His promise, the word of Allah Azza wa is His promise. I will cause how fire to be filled by the disbelieving humans and jinn. That is what is being referred to. We misled you, and because we were ourselves misled. Allah says, on that day, meaning the day of rising, they will be partners in the punishment, just as they were partners in the error. That is how we deal with evildoers. We will deal with them as we dealt with those people in the past by punishing both followers and followed. When they were told there is no God but Allah, they were arrogant. They said, are we to forsake our gods for a mad poet, meaning Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? 
بل جاء بالحق وصدق المرسلين Allah says, rather he has brought the truth and confirmed the messengers who brought it. It is, there is no God but Allah. You will definitely taste a painful punishment. And you will only be repaid for what you did. Except for Allah's chosen slaves. In verse number 40, even though the author doesn't mention it here, there are two qiraas. The first is with the fatha illa ibadallah al-mukhlasin, which means the slaves that have been saved, chosen as in they have been saved, meaning from Allah's punishment, from Allah, Allah's torment, from the hellfire. And the other qiraa is with a kasra illa ibadallah al-mukhlasin, which means the sincere slaves of Allah subhanahu wa taala, which shows then the position of sincerity and its importance, ikhlas. And its benefits in terms of the rewards that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be looking for in terms of saving the believers, it will be down to their intention and their sincerity of worship. They will have preordained provision in paradise morning and evening. Sweet fruits. This refers to things that are eaten for pleasure, not for the, not for the preservation of health, because the people of the garden have no need to preserve their bodies which are everlasting there. And high honor, indicated by the reward from Allah. In verse 42, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فواكه, Fruits. And in the Arabic language, if something is in siyaqun nafi, if it is a general noun, not specified, then it means umum. It means every type of fruit. So when Allah says, فواكه, Fruits, He doesn't say the fruit, a particular fruit, doesn't name the fruit, it is a general word, fruits. Why did Allah say fruits? Because in the Arabic language, when it's left as a general noun, it encompasses every single type of fruit that you can possibly imagine. All of that is included in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to. In gardens of delight. On couches face to face. So they do not see one another's back. And that is... And Allah Azza wa says, "Ala surun mutaqabilin," verse forty-four, because that is from the honor that the people of Jannah will have for one another, that they don't have to see one another's backs; they always face one another in a manner that Allah Azza wa knows best. So that if they are looking at someone's back, it may be considered to be a slight, a term or a position of disrespect, a way of showing disrespect to someone. So the people of Jannah continuously face one another. A cup from a flowing spring will pass around among them, so that each of them drink from it. The spring is one of wine which flows on the surface of the earth like rivers of water in this world. As white as driven snow, meaning whiter than milk, delicious to those who drink, unlike the wine of this world which is unpleasant. Which has no headache in it and does not befuddle their intellects. And does not leave them stupefied, read as Yunzefun and Yunzifun, meaning making them insensible. It is therefore different from the wine of this world. In verses 45 to 47, Allah mentions that from the rewards and blessings of the people of Jannah is the wine that they will be given to drink. And Allah mentions elsewhere in the Quran in Surah Muhammad that from the rivers of Jannah is the river of wine. 
wine that is delightful and beautiful in its taste to those who drink it. In verse number 47, the word means غول referring to the ailments of the stomach and ينزفون referring to them being befuddled meaning that when they drink the people of Jannah from the wine of Jannah even if they drink vast quantities of it they will not, not experience any stomach problems meaning that it won't be something which affects their stomach affects their liver affects their kidneys, kidneys which a great amount of alcohol can do nor will they be people whose intellects are in any way diminished, meaning that they don't become drunk, they don't become devoid of their senses. That is the difference between the two. One refers to the stomach and the other one refers to the mind. The, the scholars say that Allah differentiates the wine of this world from the wine of Jannah in five ways in these three verses. Number one, that the wine of Jannah comes from a ma'in, a spring in verse 45. That it comes from a fresh spring, meaning that it is pure and it is fresh. Number two, in verse 46, that it is white, that it is white in color. Number three, that it is delicious to drink, also in verse 46. Number four, in verse 47, that it receives, or the one who drinks from it receives no stomach ailment. And number five, also in verse 47, that it doesn't in any way diminish their faculty or their mind. There will be dark-eyed maidens with them, with eyes reserved for them alone, meaning that they confine their eyes to their husbands and do not look at anyone other than them. Just like closely guarded pearls, this refers to their color. They are like the white of ostriches, covered with their feathers so that dust does not reach them. This whitish yellow is the best complexion for women. They, meaning the people of the garden, will confront each other, questioning one another about what happened to them in this world. One of them will say, I used to have a friend who denied the resurrection. Who would say to me to rebuke him for believing in the resurrection. Are you one of those who say that it is true? That when we have died and are turned to dust and bones, we will face a reckoning and be paid back. He will say to his brothers, are you looking down with me at how to see what his state is? They will answer, no. So he, meaning the speaker who is one of the people of paradise, will look down and see him, meaning his comrade, in the midst of the blazing fire. And say to him in rebuke, By Allah you almost ruined me by your error. If it were not for the blessing of my Lord, meaning the faith he gave me, I would have been among those arraigned with you in the fire. Then the people of the garden say, Are we not going to die? Except for our first death in the world. Are we not going to be punished? This question is prompted by their joy at the blessing of Allah by granting them eternal life and not punishing them. And in these verses of Surah Al-Safat, you can see the clear contrast between the questioning that the believers will have for one another and this discourse between them in Jannah and between what Allah Azza wa mentioned in verses 27 onwards, which is the discourse and conversation of the disbelievers in the fire. 
For the disbelievers, it is one of regret and lament and remorse and fearing that they missed the opportunity that Allah gave to them of guidance and now they have eternal damnation. Whereas for the believers, they will be further uh, thankful and grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by realizing that they were so close that Allah or that they could have been misguided. They had friends and people that they knew and their acquaintances and people that they were familiar with who tried to take them away from the path of Allah and it is only from the blessings of Allah and from His guidance that they were able to remain steadfast on that path until they met their Lord and their Creator subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why it is mentioned in some narrations and some hadith that the people of Jannah will see the seat of the fire that would have been theirs had they entered into the fire. And that is a means of them appreciating further the blessing of Allah Azza wa upon them and the reward that they will be given. That that would have been their place. They would have gone to something similar to it. But Allah Azza wa saved them from that. <laughs> Truly this, what has been mentioned regarding the reward of the people of the garden is a great victory. It is for the like of this that all workers should work. It is possible that these words are said to them. It is also said that they are the ones who say them. Is that, meaning the things which have been mentioned, better by way of hospitality and other things prepared for the one who alights there, or the tree of Zakum, which is prepared for the people of the fire? Zakum is the foulest of its trees, Tihama, which Allah makes will make grow in hellfire, as will be discussed later. Which we have made to be an ordeal for the wrongdoers. It was a test for the unbelievers among the people of Mecca when they said, Fire burns trees, so how can it grow there? It is a tree that emerges in the depths of the blazing fire, the base of hellfire, and its branches rise through its levels. Its fruits are just like the heads of shaytans, resembling ugly snakes. They, meaning the unbelievers, will eat from it and fill their bellies with it in spite of its ugliness because of the severity of their hunger. Then they will have a boiling brew, scalding water, which they drink, to drink on top of it, and it mixes with what they have eaten and makes the pain worse. Then the destination will be the blazing fire. This implies that they emerge from it to drink the boiling water. They found their fathers misguided. And they are following hard upon their heels. They are moved to follow them and hasten to do so. Most of the earlier peoples, meaning past nations, went astray before them. Though we sent warners to them, meaning messengers who tried to make them fear. See the final fate of those who are warned, meaning the unbelievers whose final end is the fire. Except for Allah's chosen slaves, meaning the believers. They will be saved from the punishment because of their sincerity in worship or because Allah will deliver them. And again in verse 74, and every verse, that, because there will come a number of times, 
in Surah Al-Safat, إِلَّا عِبَادَ اللَّهِ الْمُخْلَصِينَ is read in two ways with two meanings. Those that are saved, the chosen slaves of Allah, meaning that they were saved from Allah's punishment, or the sincere slaves. And both meanings are correct as Al-Mahali rahimahullah ta'ala mentions here in his commentary. وَلَقَدْ نَادَانَا نُوحٌ فَلَنِعْمَ الْمُجِيبُونَ Nuh called out to us with the words, I'm overwhelmed, so help me. And what an excellent responder we are. He asked us to help him against his people, and so we destroyed them with the flood. وَنَجَّيْنَاهُ وَأَهْلَهُ مِنَ الْكَرْبِ الْعَظِيمِ We rescued him and his family from the terrible plight of drowning. وَجَعَلْنَا ذُرِّيَّتَهُ هُمُ الْبَاقِينَ and made his descendants the survivors. So all human beings are the descendants of Nuh, peace be upon him. He had three sons, Sam, who is the father of the Arabs, Persians and Greeks, Ham, who is the father of the blacks, and Yafit, who is the father of the Turks, the Khazars, and Ya'juj, and Ma'juj, and the rest. In this verse, in verse number 77, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, which is one of the clearest evidences from the Quran, that everyone that came after Nuh alayhi salatu wasalam is from the descendants of Nuh alayhi salam. We made his descendants the survivors, meaning that from the believers that embarked upon the Nuh, upon the ship with Nuh alayhi salatu wasalam, were his sons, and from his sons came the rest of mankind. And that is why you will find in the books of uh, the stories of the prophets, Qasasul Anbiya, and the books of tariq of history, that Nuh alayhi salam, one of the titles that he is given, is Al-Abathani, the second father of mankind. Just as Adam alayhi salam is the father of mankind, Nuh alayhi salam is known as the second Adam, or the second father of mankind for this reason. And what the author ta'ala mentions here concerning his sons Sam, Ham, and Yafit, and their descendants, is what is commonly found in those books. That from them you have these different nations and tribes that are dispersed across the world. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. And we left the later people, both prophets and their nations, to say of him in praise until the day of rising. Salamun ala Nuhim fil alameen. Peace from us be upon Nuh among all beings. In this verse, in verses 78 and 79, and this will be repeated in this surah, in Surah Al-Safat, at the end of every story of the prophets, because Surah Safat is one of those surahs of the Quran that will go into detail concerning the stories of the prophets. Just as we had in Surah Araf and in Surah Hud and in Surah Al-Shu'ara, and elsewhere in the Quran, Surah Safat will go through the stories of the main prophets again. Meaning, the majority of them being those prophets that we covered, generally speaking, who are the prophets of, that were sent to the nations that rejected them, as well as some other prophets that Allah Azza wa will mention. At the end of every one of those passages or stories, Allah Azza wa concludes by saying this, وَتَرَكْنَا عَلَيْهِ فِي الْآخِرِينَ We left the later, later people to say of him, meaning that they spoke good of him, that they mentioned those prophets in good, Nuh Ibrahim Hud, Salih, Musa, all of those prophets, they spoke good of them, and they praised them. Allah Azza wa Jalla says in 79, verse 79, Salamun ala Nuhim fil alameen, peace be upon Nuh amongst all of creation. The author Rahimahullah Ta'ala chooses the tafsir, that the word peace or salam is from Allah. He says it is commentary from us, meaning that it is from Allah Azza wa Jalla. And there is a position of a number of the scholars of tafsir, including Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah ta'ala. The second position is a position chosen by Ibn Kathir and Ibn Qayyim. Alayhim rahmatullah and Ibn Qayyim went through a very long discussion 
on how that meaning that Ibn Atiyah and Al-Mahalli went through, that the peace and the statement of peace is from Allah Azza wa Jal, is the, not the correct tafsir. But the correct tafsir is that it is the continuation of the good speech that is mentioned in the previous verse 78. We left amongst the later people to say of him, meaning to praise them, to speak good of them, and to give salams to them. And that is, I was saying, alayhi salam. So I will praise and dua for them is what Allah is referring to. So the salam is not from Allah, but it is from the people. The later people who will come, the salam is a continuation of that verse. Just as they mention about them in good things and speak of them in good ways, likewise also they give salams and send salams upon them. And from the, uh, from the evidences that he uses from that is the verse that will come at the very end of the surah was salamun ala mursaleen. And this is uh, the position that Ibn Qayyim Ta'ala chose and it's the one that he greatly supported when he came to the tafsir of these verses. And Allah knows best. That meaning repayment is how we recompense the good doers. He truly was one of our slaves who are believers. Then we drowned the rest, meaning the unbelievers of his people. One of his followers, the word used here, Shia, means party or followers on the basis of their deen. In faith was Ibrahim. There was a long time between them, said to be 2,640 years, during which the Prophet's hood and Salih was sent. And that is from the Israelite traditions, verse 83, that the time frame between Nuh and between Ibrahim alayhi salam was 2,640 years or whatever number it is then that refers to something which is an authentic narration from the Prophet ﷺ. When he came to his Lord with an unblemished, unblemished heart, free from doubts and any other flaws. And said to his father and his people to rebuke them, What are you worshipping? Is it falsehood? The word used here, if, denotes the worst form of lying. God's besides Allah that you desire. This means, why do you worship something other than Allah? So what are your thoughts about the Lord of all the worlds? Did they think that Allah would leave them to worship something other than Him without punishing them? They were astrologers. They went out to their festival and left their food with their idols, claiming that they would receive blessing for doing so. Then when they returned, they ate the food. They told Ibrahim, come out with us. In these verses 86 and 87, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in 86, Is it falsehood? God besides Allah that you desire. The author ta'ala says, If is the worst form of lying. If means slander. So it's not just any type of falsehood, but it is slander. And that's why the story of Aisha radiallahu anha and her slander in Surah Nur, Allah says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ جَالُوا بِالْإِفْكِ it is the worst form of lying and falsehood. Allah Azza wa then says in verse 87, And the uh, author, as you can see, follows the position of many of the scholars of tafsir, and that is that these two verses, 86 and 87, are not connected. They are separate statements. They committed a great slander in their worship of other than their Lord. And then the question is asked to them, well, what do you think of Allah, about the Lord of all the worlds, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The position of Ibn al-Qayyim, and Ibn al-Qayyim often in his tafsir has very beautiful uh, deductions that he makes of the Qur'an, and very beautiful understanding of the Qur'an that he does that you don't often find 
in many of the other works of Tafsir in Ibn Kathir rahimahullah, in many of those positions that he takes follows on from Ibn Al-Qayyim, that he takes from what he benefited from him rahimahullah ta'ala. Ibn Al-Qayyim says that it is a continuation, 87 is a continuation of 86. Is it falsehood, God besides Allah that you desire, then what do you think that Allah will do with you when you meet him? That is what it means. What are your thoughts about Allah? Meaning, how do you think Allah will punish you, treat you when you meet Him? So the thoughts here is not just what do you generally think about Allah. It refers to verse 86 that because of your falsehood and your slandering, when you come to meet Allah, what do you think will be your situation? How do you think Allah will judge you based upon those lies? And Allah knows best. He took a look at the stars, suggesting to them that he relied on them so that they would trust him. And said, I am sick. He pretended to see there that he would become ill. In verse 89, Allah says about Ibrahim that when they told him to come out to the festival and worship their idols, his people, he said to them, Inni saqim, I am ill. And this is one of those three incidents that we mentioned in the hadith before, that he told a, an untruth. And that is the reason for which he will absolve himself from intercession on the Day of Judgment, as is mentioned in that hadith. As we know, the other two incidents, we've already mentioned, one is with Sarah when he goes to Nimrud, and the other one is him saying about the greatest idol, the big idol, that's the one that broke the other idols down. This is the third time, in Nisaqim, I am ill. And that is not a lie, but that he means something else. And the scholars of Tafsir, they differ as to what it is that he's referring to. Does he mean that the worship of your idols makes me sick? Is that what he means when he says, I am sick? It doesn't mean physically sick, but he means the fact that you worship someone other than Allah Azza wa is what makes me feel sick. That is one tafsir, and the scholars have other tafsir as well, in terms of trying to show what it is that was the intention behind those statements. And Allah Azza wa knows best. So they turned their backs on him and went off to their festival. He turned surreptitiously to their gods, meaning the idols they worshipped, where the food had been left, and said, Do you not eat? And continued, What is the matter with you that you do not speak? They did not answer him. He turned on them, striking out forcefully with his right hand, and broke them. Those who saw him told his people, they came rushing back to him and said to him, We worship them and you have broken them. He said to rebuke them, Do you worship something you have carved? Meaning idols you have created from stone and other things. When Allah created both you and what you do, meaning your carving and what you carve. So worship him and affirm his unity. And again, this is another example of the ma in verse 96 Wallahu khalaqakum wa ma ta'amaloon Allah created you and what do you do and what you do does it refer to the actual creation meaning what they create meaning their idols Allah created you and whatever you create the product that is from the creation of Allah or does it mean the action of creation their action in creating what they create that is also from Allah Azza wa Jal created and both of those meanings are mentioned in the scholars amongst the scholars of tafsir they said to one another, build a pyre of wood for him, and set it alight so that it burns fiercely, and fling him into the blaze. 
They tried to outwit him by throwing him into the fire to kill him, but we made them the lowest. They were overcome and he emerged unharmed from the fire. He said, I am going towards my Lord. I will emigrate for Allah's sake alone from the abode of unbelief. He will be my guide to wherever he commands me to go, which was greater Syria. When he reached the Holy Land, he said, My Lord, bestow on me a right-acting child. The word child is not actually mentioned, but it is clearly implied. And we gave him the good news of a very forbearing boy. Allah in verse 101 says that we gave him a halim, a child that is halim. And halim means forbearing. And as we mentioned before in the Quran, that when Allah refers to the child of Ibrahim السلام, as halim, forbearing, then it refers to the Prophet Ismail. And in the Quran, as in Surah Hud, when Allah refers to the child of Ibrahim as being alim, knowledgeable, then it refers to his other son, Ishaq. And I think we already mentioned, if my memory serves me correct, the position as to why this story now that will come, which is about the sacrifice of his child, refers to Ismail and not Ishaq. I think, from what I remember, that we mentioned this in Surah Hud. And that is because Allah says to Ibrahim that you will have Ishaq. And after Ishaq, Yaqub, because he has the glad tiding of a grandchild, he knows that Ishaq will live. And so therefore, it doesn't make since for him to be the one that is sacrificed, there's no meaning for that sacrifice because he already knows that he will live. That therefore it is a test. The test comes when there is a child that he has no guarantee that he will live. And that is by the uh, statement of the Quran that it is Ismail salam. And so even though there were some scholars of Islam who chose the position that the one that is sacrificed was Ishaq, such as Imam Al-Qurtubi, that is position that he chose. Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti and Ibn Kathir, many of the scholars rejected that position based upon the verses of the Qur'an themselves that very clearly show that it is Ismail alayhi salam and that is the correct opinion and Allah knows best. When he was of an age to work with him and help him, which is variously reckoned to be at either 7 or 13 years old, he said, My son, I have seen in the dream that I must sacrifice you. The dreams of prophets are true, and their actions are commanded by Allah. What do you think about this? He consulted him so that he would be aware of what was going on and submit to what he was commanded to do to him. He said, Do as you are ordered, Father. Allah willing, you will find me resolute with regard to him. Then, when they had both submitted to the command of Allah, and he had laid him face down on the ground and put the knife to his throat, but did not do anything because he was prevented by the power of Allah. We called out to him, Ibrahim, You have fulfilled your vision, meaning you have done as much as you could do to sacrifice your son. That is enough for you. That is how we recompense good doers, meaning those who obey Allah's command by removing hardship, hardship from them. This commanded sacrifice as indeed a most manifest trial, a clear test. We ransomed him. This pronoun refers to, refers to the son he was commanded to sacrifice, who was either Ismail or Ishaq, as there are two views about it, with a mighty sacrifice. A large ram from paradise. It was the one which Habil, the son of Adam, 
had sacrificed, and Jibreel, peace be upon him, bought it, and Ibrahim sacrificed it, pronouncing the takbir as he did so. This verse in verse uh, 107, and even the verses before, about the sacrifice of Ismail alayhi salatu wasalam, is where we take the right of Hajj, of sacrifice, and the general right of sacrifice that the people do on the day of Eid. And that is taken, as many of the rights of Hajj are taken from the story of Ibrahim and Ismail alayhi salatu wasalam. And they said that it is at this incident when Ibrahim was leaving and walking towards Mina, which is where the sacrifice was meant to take place. They left from Mecca and they walked to today what we call Mina. Ibrahim and Ismail السلام, the shaitan appeared to him three times and said to him, Oh Ibrahim, how can you store to your son, the son that you waited for decades, all of your life to have, that now you have and now you're going to sacrifice him? How can you do that? And so Ibrahim السلام, picked up pebbles and he threw them at shaitan three times and those three places are the jamarat that we stone in. So much of what we take from the rites of Hajj and our customs of Hajj are taken from the story of Ibrahim and his family والسلام, What he mentions in verse 107 the author We ransomed him with the mighty sacrifice we said that the either Ismail or Ishaq it is Ismail السلام, and what he mentions then of the ram from paradise and it's the one that had been sacrificed in his story and that Jibreel brought it back down. This is all from the Israeliyat. These are all from the traditions of the Jews and Christians which are not authentic in our religion. And it doesn't seem to me likely that this would be the case and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. And left the later people saying of him in praise, Salamun ala Ibrahim. Peace from us be upon Ibrahim. And then again in these verses, 108, 109, we have the two tafsirs. One is that the salam is from Allah Azza wa Jal. And the second is, as Ibn Qayyim ta'ala said, a continuation of the previous verse, that just as people speak of them in good, likewise they send salutations upon them in their statement, alayhi salam. And that is the position that he chose, rahimahullah ta'ala, and that will be repeated. I'm not going to stop at every place, but that will be repeated for the remainder of the surah. كَذَلِكَ نَجْزِ الْمُحْسِنِينَ That is how we recompense good doers. إِنَّهُ مِنْ عِبَادِنَا الْمُؤْمِنِينَ He truly was one of our believing slaves. وَبَشَّرْنَاهُ بِإِسْحَاقَ نَبِيًّا مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ We gave him the good news of Ishaq, a prophet, one of the righteous. This is an indication that the one who was offered for sacrifice was Ismail rather than Ishaq. In verse 112, there is another proof. That had the one that was sacrificed been Ishaq, then why would Allah give him glad tidings of Ishaq again? The story is already finished, that is Ishaq that was gone to sacrifice and he was saved. Why then would Allah Azza wa give him glad tidings of receiving a son called Ishaq if Ishaq is already alive? And that is one of the proofs that Ibn Kathir rahimahullah and Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqiti rahimahullah amongst others used to show that this is Ismail alayhi salam, that is the one that was sacrificed. And then Allah Azza wa in addition to that, from the blessings of Allah and favors upon him, is that he gave him the glad tidings of another son by the name of Ishaq, alayhim salatu wassalam. We showered blessings upon him and upon Ishaq by giving them many descendants, and among his offspring of his son Ishaq, there were many prophets. Among their descendants are good doers, meaning believers, and also people who clearly wrong themselves, meaning unbelievers. We showed great kindness in the form of prophethood to Musa and Harun. 
We rescued them and their people, meaning the tribe of Israel, from their terrible plight, which was that of being enslaved by Pharaoh. We supported them against the cops, and so they were the victors. We gave them the clarifying book, one which is extremely clear with respect to the limits, laws and other things it conveys, meaning the Torah. وهديناهما الصراط المستقيم guided them on the straight path وتركنا عليهما في الآخرين and left the later people saying in praise of them سلام على موسى وهارون peace from us be upon Musa and Harun إنا كذلك نجزي المحسنين that is how we recompense good doers إنهما من عبادنا المؤمنين they truly were among our slaves who are believers وَإِنَّ إِلْيَاسَ لَمِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ Ilyas was one of the messengers. It is said that he was the nephew of Harun, Musa's brother. There are also different reports on the subject. He was sent to the people of Baalbek and the surrounding area. In verse 123, sent to the people of Ba'laba. The area that they say he was sent to was Ba'laba. Verse 23, Allah Azza mentions now this prophet Ilyas. عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامُ وَإِنَّ إِلْيَاسَ لَمِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ And Ilyas was from the messengers. And the scholars differ greatly about the Prophet Ilyas السلام, and the reason why they differ is because Allah doesn't speak about him in much detail in the Quran. And this is perhaps the only place in the Quran that he's mentioned in most detail. Other places he's mentioned simply by name in passing. And also because there is no hadith of the Prophet وسلم, in which he went into detail, authentic hadith, that spoke about any detail concerning this Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the scholars differ, was he from the prophets of Bani Israel, which is the position of many of them, or was he someone else? And then you have, like you can see here in the commentary of the author, that he was the nephew of Musa alayhi salam, or that he was from the descendants of Harun and so on. These are all statements that you will find in the books of Tafsir. The conclusion to all of that is that we actually don't know. There is no authentic hadith mentioning when he came or where he came or even much concerning his people and nation and his prophethood, except what you will find in the next few verses here in Surah Al-Safat. Remember when he said to his people, will you not be God-fearing and fear Allah? Do you call on Ba'd and abandon the best of creators? Ba'd was the name of a golden idol of theirs, from which the name of the town is derived. And this was also uh, the position of many of the scholars. تَدْعُونَ بَعْلَ Do you call him Ba'al? Ba'al is the name of the God that they worship besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah رَبَّكُمْ وَرَبَّ آبَائِكُمُ الْأَوَّلِينَ Allah is your Lord, read as Rabbah and Rabbu, and Lord of your forefathers, the previous peoples. فَكَذَّبُوهُ فَإِنَّهُمْ لَمُحْضَرُونَ They denied him, and so he will be among those arraigned in the fire. إِلَّا عِبَادَ اللَّهِ الْمُخْلَصِينَ Except for Allah's chosen slaves, meaning the believers who will be saved from it. وَتَرَكْنَا عَلَيْهِ فِي الْآخِرِينَ We left the later people saying in praise of him, سَلَامٌ عَلَىٰ إِلْيَاسِينَ Peace from us be upon the family of Yasin. Yasin is Ilyas. This is wishing peace, peace upon him and those who believed with him. Based on the reading, Ilyasin. If it is read as Al-Yasin, it means his family. And that is because there are two qira'as in verse 130. Salamun ala Ilyasin. And the reading of Naf and others, Salamun ala Al-Yasin. And so it means upon Ilyas or upon Ilyas and the followers with Ilyas alayhi salam. And the position of many of the scholars here is that the word Ilyasin 
is Ilyas, but it is a different form of pronouncing the word. Just as Allah Azza wa Jal in the Quran says about the mountain of Sinai, He calls it Sina or Sina, and in Surah Al-Teen, Waturi Sinin. And so that is two ways of pronouncing the same thing, Sina and Sinin. And there are many examples of Ibn Kathir, ta'ala, or a number of them that he gives in the Arabic language, and from them is Ismail's name. You can say Ismail and Ismail with the noon at the end. And that is a common form in the Arabic language, and others that he gives as well. So the position of those scholars is that it is Ilyas and Ilyasin referring to the same thing. They are just different forms of saying the same word, like Sina that is mentioned in the Quran. But in Surah Teen, Allah says that it is called Sinin, Waturi Sinin. That is how we recompense good doers. He truly was one of our slaves who are believers. And Lut was one of the messengers. Remember when we rescued him and all his family. Except an old woman among those who stayed behind and suffered the punishment. Then we utterly destroyed the rest, meaning the unbelievers of his people. And you passed by them, meaning the ruins of their houses when you traveled in the daytime and at night. So will you, meaning people of Mecca, not use your intellect? Yunus too was one of the messengers. When he ran away to the fully laden ship, he did this when he was angry with his people and the punishment which he had promised them did not befall them. He embarked in a ship and then it stopped in an ocean gulf. The sailor said, there is a slave on board who has run away from his master. He was exposed when they drew lots. And the people of the ship cast lots and he lost and so they threw him into the sea. And we mentioned this story before in Surah Al-Anbiya. Yunus is on the ship and the ship begins or comes into a storm and it's about to capsize so they have to lighten the load of the ship and so they start to draw lots between the people of the ship and the lot keeps landing upon the Prophet Yunus so Yunus realizes that it is meant for him to be thrown overboard and he's thrown overboard and that is when he is swallowed by the whale then the fish devoured him and he was to blame. He had gone to the coast in a blameworthy way and embarked on the ship without permission from his Lord. Had it not been that he was a man who glorified Allah, meaning remembering Allah frequently, even in the belly of the fish, he said, There is no God but you. Glory be to you. I have been one of the wrongdoers. As Allah relates about him in Surah Al-Anbiya. In verse 143, Allah says, Were it not that he was from amongst those who made tasbih, Allah says he would have stayed in the belly of the whale until Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And Imam Al-Tabari says that the meaning is, Were it not that he was from amongst those who used to praise us in times of ease, that we then came to his aid in times of difficulty. That is what is being referred to. Another said that the word musabbihin means were it not that he was from amongst those who used to pray. Because as we mentioned before, the word tasbih can also mean pray. It is used for the word prayer. Either way, it shows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the ways that he relieves distress and difficulty and hardship and calamity from a person is by them turning to Allah in making tasbih. 
in praising Him, in glorifying Him, in remembering Him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, especially in times of ease, as is mentioned in the hadith, that the one who remembers Allah in times of ease, Allah will remember them in times of difficulty. And so that is the position that Imam al-Tabari chose. It is because of his ibadah, his remembrance of Allah, his glorification and praise of Allah in times of ease, that when he came to his time of difficulty, and then he called upon Allah Azza wa Jalla, as Allah mentions in Surah Al-Anbiya, by saying, La ilaha illa anta subhanah, inni kuntu min al-zalimeen. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded to him, and he saved him. He would have remained inside its belly and would have been in, been his grave until the day, meaning the day of rising, they are raised again. They are raised again. So we cast him up out of the belly of the fish onto the beach, either on the same day, after three days, after seven days, after twenty days, or after forty days, and he was sick, like featherless pheasant. So Allah says, then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cast him out onto the land. And Allah knows best how long he stayed in the belly of the well. There is no authentic narration, but he was ill. Because Allah says, saqim. After having survived so many days and nights in the belly of the well, he comes out and he is sick. And we caused a gourd tree to grow over him on a trunk to shade him, which is different from the normal growth of the gourd, as a miracle for him. He drank from its juice until he became strong. In verse 146, Allah says, According to many of the scholars, is the pumpkin plant. So he ate from the pumpkin plant, and the pumpkin leaves are known to be very high and very wide. When they grow, they grow and they give shade. So it is said that for him they grew higher and they grew wider. So he gave him shade on that land and he ate from the fruit of the pumpkin that helped him in terms of regaining his strength. And Allah knows best. We sent him to a hundred thousand or even more, as before, to the people of Nineveh in the land of Mosul. The number exceeded a hundred thousand by twenty, thirty, or seventy thousand. In this verse 147, Allah says, The word aw here, we sent him to a hundred thousand or even more. Many of the scholars of Tafsir say the word aw means and. In Arabic, the word aw, which means or, ordinarily means or, can be in some contexts with the meaning of and. So we sent him to a hundred thousand and even more. Or it can mean, another meaning of the word aw in this context is bel, bel, rather. We sent him to 100,000, rather they were more. And Allah knows best. And this uh, number, according to the scholars of tafsir, is the largest number that is mentioned in the Quran as a number. Mi'at alf, 100,000, is the largest number that you will find mentioned in the Quran. فَآمَنُوا They had believed. When they saw the punishment, they had been promised. And so we gave them enjoyment for a time and allowed them to remain enjoying their property until the end of their lifespans. Ask them, meaning the unbelievers of Mecca, for a fatwa, meaning a statement, as a rebuke. Does your Lord have daughters after they claim about the angels being the daughters of Allah, while they themselves have sons, so they consider themselves better? Or did we create the angels female with them as witnesses to their creation so that they can say this? 
No, indeed. It is one of their blatant lies to say, Allah. Allah has given birth. When they say that the angels are the daughters of Allah. They are truly liars in what they say. Has he chosen daughters over sons? What is the matter with you? How do you reach your judgment? Your judgment is a false one. Will you not pay heed and remember that Allah is glorious and exalted above having a child? Or do you have some clear authority and clear evidence that Allah has a child? Bring your book then, meaning the Torah, and show me where that is in it, if you are telling the truth in what you say. They, meaning the idolaters, claim there is a blood tie between him and the jinn through the angels, since they are hidden from the eyes according to their statement that they are his daughters. But the jinn know very well that they will be arraigned. They know that those who say that will be punished in the fire. In verse 158, Allah says, They claim that there is a blood tie between him, meaning Allah and the jinn. How? Because the Arabs used to say that the jinn, that the malaika, the angels, are the daughters of Allah, used to claim at the same time that the jinn are the mothers of the angels. And so therefore, if that is the claim that they make, that the jinn, that the angels are the daughters of Allah and the daughters of the jinn, they place a relationship between Allah and between the jinn. And that is what Allah is referring to. That they make a blood relation, a tie, a kinship between Allah and between the jinn. But the jinn know their reality and that they too, the disbelievers amongst them, will be punished in the fire. Subhanallah amma yasifun. Glory be to Allah above what they describe. Allah is too exalted to have a child. Except for Allah's chosen slaves, meaning the believers. They exalt Allah above what the other people describe Him as. You and those you worship, meaning the idols. You will entice no one to them, meaning to what you worship. Except for him who is to roast in the blazing fire, in the foreknowledge of Allah. Verse 164. Jibreel said the following to the Prophet ﷺ. There is not one of us, meaning the angels, who does not have a known station in the heavens, in which he worships Allah and which he does not exceed. We are those drawn up in ranks, standing in rows in the prayer. We are those who glorify. We proclaim Allah free of everything which is not fitting for Him. In these verses 164 to 166, Allah is speaking about the station of the angels. And verse 165, we stand in rows, is where the majority of the scholars of tafsir took the position that the beginning of the surah, the first verse was Safat, the Safa refers to the angels. Allah says they will line up in rows. And he makes it general, doesn't specify who it is. But now in this verse 165, Allah says that it is the angels. So they make the tafsir of the Quran with the Quran. Allah mentions concerning the angels, and we've already mentioned a number of hadith about how the Prophet said that the, the heavens creak and they have a right to creak, but there is not a space of a handspan except that upon it is an angel standing or bowing or prostrating in worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what Allah is referring to, that the angels 
praise Allah and they worship Allah and they prostrate before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They, meaning the unbelievers in Mecca, used to say, لو أن عندنا ذكرا من الأولين If we had only had a reminder, meaning a book from the books of the previous peoples, meaning past nations, لكنا عباد الله المخلصين We would certainly have been sincere slaves of Allah in worshipping Him. فكفروا به Allah says, but they have rejected it, meaning the book which has come to them, meaning the noble Quran. فسوف يعلمون And they will soon know the results of their unbelief. وَلَقَدْ سَبَقَتْ كَلِمَتُنَا لِعِبَادِنَا الْمُرْسَلِينَ Our word, meaning victory in this instance, was given before to our slaves, the messengers. A reference to Allah's words, I will be victorious, I and my messengers. إِنَّهُمْ لَهُمُ الْمَنْصُورُونَ That they would certainly be helped. وَإِنَّ جُنْدَنَا لَهُمُ الْغَالِبُونَ It is our army, meaning the believers, which will be victorious over the unbelievers by the proof and victory over them in this world. If some of them are not victorious in this world, they will be in the next world. In verse 173, Allah Azza wa says, It is our army, meaning the believers, which will be victorious. And Imam Al-Tabari said that the meaning of this verse is that they will be victorious in terms of their proofs that they will use against the disbelievers. So it is their, victor- their victory is one of argumentation, debating, proofs and evidences. And he says because there were certain prophets, as we know, that were killed by their, by their followers and so on. Others said, no, it is victory of the sword. They will be victorious with the sword. And the Shaykh al-Shaqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, combined between the two, that Allah Azza wa gives victory to the believers, some of them, by way of the sword and power, militarily, and others, by way of their speech and by using the proofs of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Therefore, turn from them, meaning the unbelievers of Mecca, for a time, until the time when you are commanded to fight them. And watch them when the punishment befalls them, for they will soon see the consequences of their unbelief. Verse 176. They said in mockery, When will this punishment occur? Allah then threatens them. Are they trying to hasten our punishment? When it descends in their courtyard, the word used here, saha, means a courtyard around a house. According to Al-Farra, when the Arabs mention the courtyard, it really means the people there. How evil will be the mourning of those who are warned? And that is a statement of the author, Ta'ala. Saha means a courtyard or an area, an arena that people go in. And this is the same verse that was used by the Prophet as mentioned in the hadith in Al-Bukhari in the battle of Khaybar when the Prophet came to the people of Khaybar and was ready to fight them. And then they gave up and they surrendered. And the Prophet when he saw them getting ready to surrender he said, Allahu Akbar, Kharibat Khaybar. Oh Allah is great, Khaybar is done, it's destroyed. For we are the people, إِذَا نَزَلْنَا بِسَاحَةٍ when we come and settle upon the courtyard of a people, then there will be an evil mourning for those who are there. So turn from them for a time. And watch, for they will soon see. This is repeated to stress the threat against them and to give solace to the Prophet Glory be to your Lord, the Lord of might, beyond anything they describe about him having a child. 
and peace be upon the messengers who conveyed the message of Allah's unity and laws. And praise be to Allah for helping them and destroying the unbelievers, the Lord of all the worlds. And verse 181 is the verse from which we take the etiquette of sending salam upon the prophets of Allah. That after mentioning them, we say, Alayhi salam, wassalamun ala mursaleen. Just as we take the etiquette of Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam from the verse in Surah Al-Hazab, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu tislima. And just as we take the etiquette of saying Radiyallahu anhum for the companions from the verses in the Quran that are mentioned in more than one place in which Allah says concerning them Radiyallahu anhum maradu an. And these are etiquettes therefore that we take from the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Surah Fad. This surah is Meccan. It has 86 or 88 ayat and was sent down after Al-Qamar. This is the 38th surah of the Quran. And that is that the Surah is Surah Sad. And just as there are surahs in the Quran that begin with multiple letters, there are surahs of the Quran that begin with a single letter. And from them is Sad. And it is the first of three that will come Sad, Qaf, and Nun. Surahs of the Quran that begin with these letters are of different types. Some of them a single letter, like Surah Sad, Qaf, and Nun. Some of them with two letters, like Hamim and Taha. Some with three letters, like Alif Lamim. Alif Lam Ra, some with four letters like Alif Lam Mim Ra, and some with five, and that is the most, and that is Kaf Hayaim Sad. This surah is by Ijma' of the scholars of Tafsir, a Makki surah, as mentioned in Kathir al Qurtubi, and I think we mentioned previously when we were speaking about the Tafsir of Surah Al Araf, that the scholars consider Surah Sad to have come before Araf, and therefore it is one of the first surahs, the earliest surahs that mentioned in some detail. The stories of the prophets of Allah, alayhi salatu wassalam. It is 88 verses in our reading of the Mus'haf. And from the names that is mentioned of this surah, in some of the books of Tafsir and Sciences of Quran, as mentioned by Ibn al-Jawzi, rahimahullah, and al-Imam al-Suyuti, the co-author of this Tafsir, in his book Al-Itqan fi Ulum al-Quran, from the names that it was known by, by some of the early scholars of Islam, is the surah Dawood. Named after the Prophet Dawood It was known as Surah Dawood In some of their statements But it is not the majority of the statements of those scholars Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Sad Allah knows best what is meant by this By the Quran holding the remembrance This is an oath whose apodosis is elided In other words, the truth of the matter is as much as the unbelievers of Mecca say about there being many gods. <clears throat> that those who disbelieve, including the people of Mecca, are full of vain glory. In other words, they are too proud to believe and entrenched in hostility, meaning in enmity towards the Prophet. In verse number 1 and 2, Allah takes an oath. By the Quran, holding the remembrance. And as we said, for Surah Safat, when you have a qasm, an oath, you need the response to the qasm. What is the oath being taken for? And this is where the scholars differ. The position of Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, is that the qasm or the jawab al-qasm, the, what, is taken, what is being taken an oath for, is verse number two. But those who disbelieve are full of vain glory. That is his position. The position, however, of the majority of the scholars of tafsir, such as Ibn al-Qayyim and Ibn Atiyah, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin rahimahumullah and others is that the jawab al-qasm the answer to the oath 
the part of the oath that the oath is being taken for is mahdhuf, isn't mentioned. It is implicitly understood. Ibn Atiyah says that the meaning is by the Quran that holds remembrance, they will be resurrected. That is the response. But it is not mentioned explicitly. Ibn Qayyim Ta'ala says by the Quran that is holding the remembrance, indeed the Quran is true. That is what Allah is taking the oath for. And Al Imam uh, Al Shaqiti Ta'ala says that by the Quran that is holding their remembrance, that which they claim is untrue. Meaning that whatever they continue to claim in this surah, Allah is taking an oath by the Quran to show that their claims are false and that they are rejected. How many generations, many nations we have destroyed before them? And they cried out when the punishment fell on them and when it was too late to escape and they had nowhere to run. So the unbelievers of Mecca should take note. They are surprised that a warner, meaning a messenger from among themselves, should come to them from among themselves and alert them to the fire at the resurrection. That is, the Prophet The unbelievers say, this is a lying magician. Has he turned all the gods into one god? They said this when he said to them, say, there is no God except Allah. They said, how can one God be enough for all creation? That is truly astonishing. The leaders went off from the meeting they had with Abu Talib in which they listened to the Prophet when he told them to say, there is no God but Allah. Saying to one another, carry on as you are, continue, hold fast to your gods and to worshipping them. This doctrine of unity is clearly something planned. In verses 5 and 6, Allah is mentioning this statement, it is mentioned in the books of Sirah that Abu Talib gathered the Prophet with the leaders of Quraysh, and amongst them was Abu Lahab and Abu Jahal and others, in order to see if they could come to some middle path. If in order they could come to some middle path, and the middle path that they wanted was that if the Prophet really believed in this religion, then let him practice it quietly. Let him believe in it and do his own thing. But don't preach to others, don't call others, don't cause problems in Mecca and society and incite others to leave the ways of their forefathers that abandoned their religion. Let him go and worship silently somewhere. The Prophet called them to Tawheed and told them the meaning of Islam. So one of them, Abu Jahl or Abu Lahab, one of the other leaders left saying, has he made all of our gods, of which there were just 360 in and around the Kaaba, has he made them all into a single god? Indeed, that is something astonishing. In verse number 6 at the end of it, إِنَّ هَذَا لَشَيْءٌ يُرَادْ This doctrine of unity is clearly something planned. Meaning what? At-Tabari ta'ala said, meaning that this is a plan of his in order to gain leadership over you and power over you. That's what they're referring to. This is a plan of his, not that he's sincere, it's something that he's using in order to become your next leader and to have honor and position over you. We have not heard of this in the old religion, meaning the religion of Isa. This is merely something contrived, meaning a lie. Has a reminder, meaning the Quran being sent down to him, meaning Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 
out of all of us when he is not the oldest of us or the noblest of us. Meaning, why was it sent down on him? Allah says, They are in doubt about my reminder, the revelation of the Qur'an, since they denied the one who brought it. They have yet to taste my punishment. If they had tasted the punishment, they would have believed the Prophet ﷺ regarding what he brought. But their affirmation would not then would not then benefit them. Or do they possess the treasuries of your Lord's mercy, the Almighty, the ever-forgiving, the ever-giving? He is the one who gives prophethood and other things to whomever he wishes. Or does the kingdom of the heavens and earth and everything between them belong to them? If they claim that, let them, in that case, climb the ropes to heaven and bring the revelation and choose whomever they wish. In verse number 10, the translator has chosen to translate then let them, in that case, climb the ropes to heaven. Asbab means the paths to heaven. I don't know what he, what he means exactly by ropes, but the, the tafsir that is given by the Salaf of Ibn Abbas is the paths that will lead you to heaven. Even a whole army of confederates who deny you, such as the armies of those who form parties against the prophets before you, will be routed there. Previous armies were overwhelmed and destroyed. That is how we will destroy these as well. Before them, the people of Nuh denied the truth, as did Ad and Pharaoh of the stakes. He is called by this name because when he was angry with someone, he would tie their feet and hands to four stakes and then torture them. In verse number 12, and Pharaoh of the stakes, the author mentions one opinion which is an opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir, that the word Utad refers to his implements of torture and punishment. That is the meaning. And the other position amongst the scholars of tafsir is that the word Utad refers to his armies. And Pharaoh, the possessor of armies, because he was known for his vast armies through which he would subjugate and uh, place people into bondage. And Thamud and the people of Lut and the companions of the thickets, meaning the people of Shu'ayb, peace be upon him. Those two were confederates. Each one of them, meaning the confederates, denied the messengers. Because if people deny one, they deny all of them since they all call people to the same thing, which is affirmation of Allah's unity. And so my punishment was inevitable and justly carried out. These people, meaning the unbelievers of Mecca, too, are only waiting a single blast, the blast of the rising, and then the punishment will alight on them, and it will not be repeated, read as fawaq or fuwaq. They say in mockery when the ayah was revealed, as for him who is given his book in his right hand, our Lord advance our share, meaning the book of our actions, to us before the day of reckoning. Allah says, be steadfast in the face of what they say and remember our slave Dawood, who possessed true strength in worship. He used to fast every other day. He would pray half of the night and then sleep for a third and then pray for a sixth. 
Innahu awwab. He truly turned to the pleasure of his Lord. Inna sakharna al-jibala ma'ahu yusabbihna bil-ajiyi wal-ishraq. We subjected the mountains to glorify with him in the evening, at the time of Isha, and at sunrise, at the time of Duha. So both at the time when the sun shines and when its light disappears. And also we subjected the birds, flocking together to glorify with him. All of them, meaning mountains and birds, turned to him to obey him by glorifying him. We made his kingdom strong by means of guards and armies. 30,000 men used to guard his small room every night. And gave him wisdom, meaning prophethood and correct judgment about things in general. And decisive speech, clear speech which achieves the desired result. So in these verses we can see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning the virtues of his prophet Dawood alayhi salatu wassalam and we've mentioned much of this before in terms of his ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his recitation of the Psalms and how the mountains would reverberate with his recitation and the birds would flock to him alayhi salam and Allah azawajal gave him a kingdom because he was from the prophets of Allah that was also made a king he was a prophet and a king just as his son Suleiman alayhi salam would be a prophet and a king has the story of the litigants reached you? This question implies wonder and encourages one to listen to what follows. O oh Muhammad, وسلم, have you heard? How they climbed up to the upper room, which was his place of prayer. They did this when they were prevented from entering by the door since he was busy worshipping. Tell them his story. And as we mentioned before, the word mihrab is a special place of prayer that people would have in their homes. And it doesn't mean the mihrab that we have in the masjid, where the imam now stands in many masajid, but a mihrab is an area at home in which you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the meaning of mihrab. And came in on Dawood, who was alarmed by them. They said, do not be afraid, we are two litigants. It is said that there were two groups of litigants because of the use of the plural. But the usual opinion is that there were only two men. There were two angels who came in the form of two litigants in order to point out to him what he had done. He had 99 wives and wanted the wife of someone who had no other wife but her. He married her and consummated the marriage with her. One of whom has acted unjustly towards the other, so judge between us with truth, and guide us to what is correct. And do not be unjust and guide us to the right path. This brother of mine in the deen has 99 ewes, sheep, here representing wives, and I have only one. He said, let me have charge of it, and got the better of me with his words. He won the argument, and the other man put the sheep in his care. This verse, verses 22 onwards, or verses 21 onwards, about the story of the Prophet Dawood is an example of what we mentioned, I think, yesterday or the day before, of how sometimes when the Israelite traditions creep into tafsir, they give a tafsir and an explanation of verses concerning the stories of the prophets that is not befitting of them. And this is one of those examples that the uh, version of this tafsir that Al-Mahalli and other scholars to be fair to him is not the only one. Many of them narrate them in their books of tafsir. Some of them mention them in their books of tafsir without commenting. 
and others will mention them like Ibn Kathir rahimahullah and dismiss them to show that they are not correct as Ibn Kathir does in this regard and he says that this is a very far-fetched opinion that should, isn't worthy of being mentioned about the prophets nor is it something that should be narrated and the books like Ibn Kathir's tafsir is an encyclopedia of tafsir it's there for reference not everything that he mentions is meant to be taken at face value or is authentic and that's why he often comments on those narrations this is an example of that and that is, and other scholars don't even mention this tafsir. And they say Allah knows best. As Shaykh Ibn Rahimahullah often does in his tafsir when he comes to stories like this and the story that will soon come about Sulaiman alayhi salam, he says Allah knows best. The Quran does go into detail. The Prophet never explained. The companions عنهم, never asked. So therefore, it's enough for us just to simply take this position as they took it. Anyway, this particular tafsir that Dawood already has 99 wives and then he sees the wife of another woman and he covets her and so therefore he forces himself to marry her and separates his her husband and some of those nations says that he sent the husband away to a faraway land so that he could fight and maybe something else would happen to him along the way and then he could all of these narrations that are not befitting of any Muslim let alone a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a Muslim to behave in that way and to that, for that to be the character of any Muslim is something which goes against our religion for the average normal Muslim. In fact, some of them, like I think Ibn Hazm, rahimahullah ta'ala, went, uh, went uh, very, uh, he was very fierce in his criticism of these narrations and he said that even amongst the Fusaq, the evildoers, they wouldn't be happy with something like this. Even for them, it would be something which is a step too far. Let alone then it being attributed to a Muslim, let alone then it being attributed to one of the great prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so therefore, this tafsir that Al-Mahalli will mention and will continue to mention to the end of this story is not the correct tafsir of this verse. But once he finishes, inshallah ta'ala, we'll speak about what is a more appropriate understanding on Allah knows best. He said he has wronged you by asking for your you to add to his use. وَإِنَّ كَثِيرًا مِنَ الْخُلَطَاءِ لَيَبْغِي بَعْضُهُمْ عَلَى بَعْضٍ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَقَلِيلٌ مَّاهُمْ Truly many partners are unjust to one another, except those who believe and do right actions, and how few they are. The angels who revert to their proper form and return to heaven said, The man has judged against himself. Dawood understood. Allah says, وَظَنَّ دَاوُودُ أَنَّمَا فَتَنَّاهُ Dawood realized with certainty that we had put him to the test, meaning that he had fallen into affliction because of his love for that woman. فَاسْتَغْفَرَ رَبَّهُ He begged forgiveness from his Lord and fell down prone, prostrating and repented. فَغَفَرْنَا لَهُ ذَانِكِ So we forgave him for that. وَإِنَّ لَهُ عِنْدَنَا لَزُلْفَى وَحُسْنَ مَآبٍ And he has nearness to us. In addition to the good of this world he received and his high position there and a good homecoming in the next world. يَا دَاوُدُ إِنَّا جَعَلْنَاكَ خَلِيفَةً فِي الْأَرْضِ Dawood, we have made you a khalif on the earth, giving you the management of people's affairs. فَحْكُمْ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ بِالْحَقِّ وَلَا تَتَّبِعِ الْهَوَى فَيُضِلَّكَ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ so judge between people with truth and do not follow your own desires, meaning the whims of your lower self, letting them misguide you from the way of Allah, from the evidence which indicates the unity of Allah. <laughs> Those 
those who are misguided from the way of Allah, meaning from belief in Allah, will receive a harsh punishment because they forgot the day of reckoning and therefore fail to believe. If they had had certainty about the day of rising, they would have believed when they were in this world. So this is the story of Dawood We can see the position that Al-Mahali has taken in tafsir. A better and more appropriate tafsir of this passage and this story, and Allah knows best, is that the story is taken on its apparent meaning. That Dawood was once one day worshipping his Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala in his mihrab, and these two people who were not angels, but they were actual humans, two people who had a legitimate dispute, they came and they found him in his mihrab. And his mihrab was a place that no one was allowed to enter. So when they enter upon him, either he thinks that he will do something bad to them because of the breaking into his mihrab, or he thinks that maybe perhaps they've come to do something harmful to him. And it is those thoughts that are evil, that he didn't want to settle their dispute, that he makes istighfar for at the end. When Allah Azza wa says at the end of verse 24 and 25 that he made istighfar. That is what he is making istighfar for, which is apparent from the surah. Then they come with this dispute, and the dispute is not about sheep that somehow signify women, uh, which is not a common way of, of, of speaking about women in Arabic language, they're not a metaphor for one another. The story therefore is about a legitimate dispute that one man has 99 sheep, another one has one, and the one with 99 wants to take the other one that has the one. And so they have this legitimate dispute that they come to Dawood for and then he settles amongst them. Another position amongst the scholars about why Dawood makes istighfar and why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then rebukes him والسلام, and corrects him and says that we made you a leader so judge between people in the truth is that Dawood when he comes, this dispute comes before him he judges for the one who has the one sheep that has been taken away from him he judges for him without listening to the other one. He doesn't listen to both sides of the story. And that is one of the core principles of being a judge in any dispute, whether it's amongst a family member, whether you're a judge in a court, whoever it is, that you listen to both sides of the story. As the Prophet said, وسلم, in the hadith to Ali radiallahu anhu, and when two people come to you with a dispute, don't judge for one until you have heard the side of another. And from that is what is mentioned about Umar radiallahu anhu. That a man once came to him in his khilafah, holding his eyeball in his hand, saying that so-and-so hurt me, injured me to the extent that they took out my eye. And he was holding it in his hand. Umar said, bring him, let me speak to him. The man said, why do you need to speak to him? What more evidence do you need? I have my eyeball in my hand. Umar said, perhaps you took out both his eyes. So they bought that man and he was holding both of his eyes. And that is justice. To listen to both sides of the story. So what Allah Azza wa is correcting here, it's not an issue of love, it's not an issue of coveting women, it's not, it is a genuine dispute between two people. And Dawood listens to one side and judges before he listens to the other side. And that is what Allah Azza wa is correcting him for and that is what he seeks forgiveness for. And that is a, a tafsir that is more befitting and more becoming of a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and is based upon what is the apparent verses of the Qur'an and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. وَمَا خَلَقْنَا السَّمَاءَ وَالْأَرْضَ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا بَاطِلًا We did not create heaven and earth and everything between them to no purpose. ذَلِكَ غَنُّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا That, there is no purpose to creation, is the opinion of those who disbelieve. فَوَيْنُ لِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنَ النَّارِ Wow, wayn, which is the name of a valley in the fire to those who disbelieve because of the fire. 
أم نجعل الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات كالمفسدين في الأرض Would we make those who believe and do right actions the same as those who cause corruption on the earth? أم نجعل المتقين كالفجار Would we make those who are God-fearing the same as the dissolute? This was revealed when the unbelievers of Mecca said to the believers, In the next world we will be given the same as you are given. كتاب أنزلناه إليك مبارك ليدبروا آياته وليتذكر أولو الألباب It is a book we have sent down to you, full of blessing. So let people of intelligence ponder its signs, reflect on its meanings, and take heed, and therefore believe. Those who possess intelligence will be warned by it. وَوَهَبْنَا لِدَاوُودَ سُلَيْمَانِ We gave Dawood Sulaiman, his son. نِعْمَ الْعَبْدِ What an excellent slave. إِنَّهُ <coughs> أَوَّابِ He truly turned to his Lord. He frequently re- remembered Allah at all times. When swift horses, the word used here, صافنات, which is a plural of صافنات, is a kind of horse that lifts up one of its feet, pointing the hoof down, and stands on the others. It comes from the, the verb صفنا, to stand with one foot slightly raised. Jiyad is a plural of jawad, meaning a swift runner. When they stand, they are still, and when they run, they win. Champing up the bit were displayed before him in the afternoon. A thousand horses were presented to him after he had prayed both, since he wished to do jihad on them against the enemy. When he had only inspected, ta- ins- inspected 900, the sun set, and he had not yet prayed out, so he was unhappy. فَقَالَ إِنِّي أَحْبَبْتُ حُبَّ الْخَيْرِ عَنْ ذِكْرِ رَبِّي حَتَّى تَوَارَتْ بِالْحِجَابِ He said, I have put the love of good things, meaning his horses, above the remembrance of my Lord, by failing to perform the Asr prayer in its time, until the sun disappeared behind its veil, meaning disappeared from sight. In these verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about Sulaiman alayhi salam, and the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, has chosen a, a tafsir, which is, again is a common tafsir, and that is that Sulaiman is watching this parade of horses, horses that he loved because they were horses that helped him establish the command of Allah upon earth. And as he's doing so, it busies him to the extent that he forgets about the salah. And the time of Asr passes by, the sun sets, and he hasn't prayed. That is one tafsir. The other tafsir is that he looks at them as a reminder of the blessings of Allah, the horses. And the horses, when he says, إِنِّي أَحْبَبْتُ حُبَّ الْخَيْرِ عَنْ ذِكْرِ رَبِّي He says that I have put the love of good things, not above the remembrance of Allah, but because of the remembrance of Allah. Meaning that it is something that helps me to remember Allah even more. حَتَّى تَوَارَتْ بِالْحِجَابِ And he continues to make this a dhikr of Allah until the sun sets. So he doesn't miss the prayer. So it's not something that distracts him from the prayer, but it is something which reinforces his remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think as, uh, as some of the scholars of tafsir mentioned, that is a also more appropriate tafsir for a prophet of Allah azza wa that he doesn't become distracted by the worldly things, by the worldly things away from the remembrance of Allah azza wa but rather it is something which helps him to further remember and praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why, as we mentioned in Surah Al-Naml, when he comes across the colony of ants, even the smallest of Allah's blessings, would make him remember Allah and thank Allah. So when he sees these horses that Allah has given to him, it is a great reminder of Allah's blessings upon him. And so he remembers them, looks at them, they increase him in his remembrance of Allah, and that continues until the sun sets. Return them, meaning the horses, to me. They were brought back. He took up a sword, 
And he set about slashing through their shanks and necks, slaughtering them at a desire to draw near to Allah, since they had distracted him from the prayer. He gave the meat away as sadaqah, and Allah gave him in their place something better and swifter, the wind which went at his command wherever he wished. And that is again verse 33, according to the other tafsir, the one that Al-Muhalli has chosen, that they distracted him from their prayer, so then he asked for them to come back and he slaughtered them and distributed their meat because he saw them as a distraction from the remembrance of Allah Azza wa Jal. The tafsir, the other tafsir that I gave about it being something which increases him in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in the meaning of فَطَفِقَ مَسْحَمْ بِالسُّقِ وَالْعَنَاقِ is as the Prophet verse says that he asked for them to come back and تَفِقَ مَسْحَ مَسْحَ means to wipe over to wipe over so they came back and he wiped over them wiped over their manes, wiped over their backs as a show of tenderness and approval of what they do and this was a opinion mentioned by Abdullah ibn Abbas in the tafsir of this verse that the word masr is literal masr means to wipe over so he wipes over them meaning because he he uh, sees them as a blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah knows best وَلَقَدْ We tested Sulaiman by removing his kingdom and placed a lifeless body on his throne that came about because he married a woman he was passionately in love with and she used to worship an idol in his house without his knowledge. The power of his kingdom resided in his signet ring. He removed it once he went to the lavatory and left it with his wife, Umayna, as was his custom. A jinn came in the form of Sulaiman and took it from her. The name of the jinn was Sakh, or possibly something else. He sat on the throne of Sulaiman and the birds and other creatures devoted themselves to him. Sulaiman came out looking different from his normal appearance and saw him on his throne. He said to the people, I am Sulaiman, but, but they did not recognize him. Then he repented. Then, after some days, Sulaiman was restored to his kingdom because he regained his ring and put it on and sat on his throne. And this is another example of those Israeliyat that when they come in the religion, they belittle the status of the prophets of Allah Azza wa Jal. That Sulaiman, a prophet of Allah, that Allah praises in the Quran, that he would be someone who, because of his love for a woman, would be negligent and and heedless of her worship as an idol in, a, in his household over love. That this would be the position of a Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala That the jinn would be able to come Even though the jinn were subject to him And were subjugated by Allah azza wa for his command That they would be able to come and imitate him That his whole kingdom rests in a ring Like it's some fairy tale If the ring goes, the power goes It is Allah azza wa that gives him the power and his abilities Not rested in a ring Anyway, that is a common tafsir But also from the Israeliyat The other tafsir is either you take the position of Shaykh Ibn Al-Thaymeen which as a methodology is a very good and safe methodology that we simply say we don't know Allah says that he tested Sulaiman in this way Sulaiman came and he made Tawbah and Allah knows best in terms of the details of that and there is enough for us to know as a lesson that the prophets of Allah at times will make certain errors, small errors and Allah corrects them and Allah rectifies the errors for them and they make Tawbah to Allah Azza wa and that within that is solace for us that if this is the prophets of Allah then surely we are people who are more deserving and more in need of making tawbah to Allah that is a very good and safe methodology or the methodology that you look for something else in the sunnah that may explain this that is authentic and that gives a good and positive meaning and from those positive meanings in terms of this particular verse is what some of the scholars mentioned in the hadith in Sahih Bukhari which the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that Sulaiman alayhi salam said that he would visit his 100 wives 
and then he would have relations with them. And then each of them would give birth to a warrior that would fight in the path of Allah. But the Prophet ﷺ said, he didn't say insha'Allah. So 99 of them gave birth to nothing. And the one that gave birth to a child, gave birth to a deformed child. And that is the child that Allah is referring to when he says that Sulaiman found something upon his throne. It is that lifeless body form. And so Sulaiman then makes tawbah. Ali studies the tafsir that is befitting of a prophet that is taken from an authentic narration in Sahih al-Bukhari. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. قَالَ رَبِّ اغْفِرْ لِي وَهَبْ لِي مُلْكًا لَا يَنْبَغِي لِأَحَدٍ مِّن بَعْدِي He said, My Lord, forgive me and give me a kingdom the like of which will never be granted to anyone after me. إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْوَهَّابِ Truly, you are the ever-giving. فَسَخَّرْنَا لَهُ الرِّيحَ تَجْنِي بِأَمْرِهِ وَخَاءً حَيْثُ أَصَابِ So we subjected the wind to him to blow at his command, softly, wherever he directed and wished. وَالشَّيَاطِينَ كُلَّ بَنَّائِمٌ وَغَوَّاصٌ And the shaytans, every builder of wondrous buildings and diver into the sea to bring out pearls. وَآخَرِينَ مُقَرَّنِينَ فِي الْأَصْفَادِ And others of them yoked together in chains, meaning jinn with shackles, which fastened their hands to their necks. هَذَا عَطَاؤُنَا فَمْنٌ أَوْ أَمْسِكْ بِغَيْرِ حِسَادٍ We said to him, this is our gift, so bestow it on anyone you want or withhold it from anyone you want without reckoning. وَإِنَّ لَهُ عِنْدَنَا لَزُلْفَ وَحُسْنَ مَآبٍ He will have nearness to us and a good homecoming. وَذْكُرْ عَبَدَنَا أَيُّوبَ إِذْ نَادَى رَبَّهُ أَنِّي مَسْتَنِيَ الشَّيْطَانُ بِنُصْبٍ وَعَذَابٍ Remember our slave Ayyub when he called on his Lord, Shaytan has afflicted me with exhaustion and suffering. He ascribed his difficulties to Shaytan, even if all things come from Allah, out of courtesy towards Allah. He was told, stamp on the ground with your foot. When he did so, a spring of water gushed forth. He was told, Here is a cool bath meaning water with which you can wash yourself, and water to drink. He washed and drank, and all his illness left him, inside and out. And this is mentioned in a narration that some of the scholars authenticated from one of the companions that said that the Prophet Ayyub was overcome with this illness for 18 years, to the extent that they excluded him from the town and made him live on the outskirts, and no one would visit him except for a couple of people, from them his wife. And from those incidents that then took place after the 18 years is that two people came to visit him one day from his acquaintances, his friends. And as they left, he could hear, overheard them speaking. And they said, Ayyub must have committed a sin, unlike any other sin, for Allah to punish him in this way. And when he did so, Ayyub when they said this, he made the dua that Allah mentions in Surah Al-Anbiya, Rabbi inni masani al-dur wa anta arhamur rahimin. So then he goes out with his wife for a walk and as they walk, his wife leaves him and she goes ahead because Ayyub is extremely ill and so he would walk very slowly. And as he, she leaves and goes ahead and she goes out of sight, Allah Azzawajal commands him to stamp the ground. So he does so and a spring gushes forth, he bathes and drinks from it and Allah cures him. His wife realizes that Ayyub isn't there, he's slowed down. She goes back, she looks and she finds a man and she says, have you seen a man, the Prophet Ayyub, that looks very ill? Meaning that that is how much his appearance had changed. And so Ayyub says, it is me. That is the narration that is mentioned in the books of Tafsir. It has an authentic chain of narration. 
that Ibn Kathir ta'ala said to ascribe it as a hadith of the Prophet is gharibun jiddan, very peculiar. What seems more likely is that some of the companions took that as an Israeliyat. And that is a position, therefore, that is important to understand amongst the scholars of Tafsir, that sometimes we have narrations that have an authentic chain of narration to the scholar or to the companion. But it doesn't mean that they heard it from the Prophet ﷺ. They could have heard it from the Israeliyat that they narrate. And that's why a number of scholars, Ibn Kathir from amongst them, didn't attribute this narration as being a hadith, but rather a statement that is from the Israeliyat. And Allah Azza wa knows best. وَوَهَبْنَا لَهُ أَهْلَهُ وَمِثْلَهُمْ مَعَهُمْ We gave him back his family and the same again with them. Allah brought back to life those of his children who had died and Allah gave him the same number again. رَحْمَةً مِنَّا الْأَلْبَابِ As a mercy, meaning blessing from us, and a reminder and warning for people of intellect. وَخُذْ بِيَدِكَ بِهِ وَلَا تَحْنَثْ Take a bundle of rushes, meaning grass or canes, in your hand and strike your wife with that. Since he had sworn an oath that he would strike her a hundred times because she was slow in coming to him one day. But do not break your oath by not striking her. So he took a hundred sticks of ibtir, herb or something else, and hit her with them once. We found him, meaning Ayyub, steadfast. What an excellent slave. He truly often turned to his Lord. وَاذْكُرْ عِبَادَنَا إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْحَاقَ وَيَعْقُوبَ أُولِي الْأَيْدِي وَالْأَبْصَارُ And remember our slaves, Ibrahim, Ishaq and Ya'qub, men of true strength in worship and insight into the deen. Allah Azza wa speaks about these three prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and describes them as أُولُو الْأَيْدِي وَالْأَبْصَارُ And the word aid can mean strength, as Allah Azza wa mentions about the prophet Dawood, وَاذْكُرْ عَبْدَنَا دَاوُودَ than aid. Dawood, the possessor of strength. And the meaning of possessor of strength is through their worship. That they had worship of Allah Azza wa Jal, so they were strong. And the worship of Allah Azza wa Jal gives you a strength that isn't necessarily physical strength, but it is a strength in you being able to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and have that stamina to stand your nights in prayer and your days in worship. And that's why it's often seen in the masjid, in taraweeh, and otherwise that you come and you see an elderly uncle and an elderly aunt who is in their 70s and 80s, and mashallah, they're standing for as long as the Imam stands and they don't fidget and they're not messing around and they can take that long prayer. And then you have next to them a younger man who's a bodybuilder, mashallah, in the gym five times a day and he's huffing and puffing because the Imam is doing a 15-minute salah. And that's not because the man doesn't have any strength, he's clearly physically strong. But they don't have the strength of worship and the stamina to worship Allah Azza wa Jal. This is what is being referred to. And from the benefits of making dhikr and making read the Quran and making the general Remembrance of Allah Azza wa Jal is that He gives you that spiritual strength that allows you to worship Allah Azza wa Jal, which is a more blessed and better strength than the strength of physicality. The second meaning of Aidi, which is also the tafsir that many of the scholars chose for this particular verse, is favors. The word Aid comes from the word Yad, which means to have a favor over someone. Ulil Aidi, they were the people of favors, meaning that they did good towards people and they helped them. We purified this sincerity through sincere remembrance of the abode of the next world, meaning by remembering it and acting for it. In our eyes, they are among the best of chosen men. Remember our slaves, Ismail, Al-Yasa, and Dhul-Kifl.
Each of them was among the best of men. There is disagreement about whether Dhul Kifl was a prophet or not. It is said that he supported a hundred prophets who fled to him to avoid being killed. And we mentioned this before in Surah Al-Anbiya when the name of Dhul Kifl is mentioned. And we said that some of the scholars, such as Ibn Kathir, said that he was a prophet of Allah, and others said that he wasn't. And what seems more apparent is that he's a prophet because it's always mentioned in their company in that context, and Allah knows best. This is a reminder praising them. Those who are God fearing will have a good homecoming in the next world. Gardens of Eden, they will be a good homecoming, whose gates will be open to them. Where they will recline on couches, calling for plentiful fruit and drink. And there will be dark-eyed maidens with them, with eyes reserved for them, meaning their husbands alone. They will have the same age, 33 years. In verse 52, the last word in that verse, atrab, which is translated as alone, means what the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, said in his tafsir. It doesn't mean alone, it means that they are equal in age. عِنْدَهُمْ قَاصِرَاتُ الطَّرْفِ أَتْرَابِ Verse 52 And there will be dark-eyed maidens with them with eyes reserved for them not alone but meaning equal in age. This, what has been mentioned, is what you are promised in the unseen on the day of reckoning. This is our provision which will never run out. It will never come to an end, but is constant and will abide. This is what the believers will receive. Whereas for the profligate, there is an evil homecoming. Hell, where they will enter and roast. What an evil resting place. This punishment is what they will receive. So that, let them taste it. Boiling water and scalding pus. Read as غساق and غساق, which is discharged from the people of the fire. And other, read as آخر and آخر, plural and singular, such torments like boiling water and pus and many different punishments. Verse 59. The following is what will be said to them when they enter the fire with their followers. This, a crowd hurtling in with you, <coughs> entering with harshness, that those who are followed will say, There is no welcome for them, meaning, they will have no comfort. They will certainly roast in the fire. They, meaning the followers, will say, No, it is you who have no welcome. It is you who brought it, meaning unbelief upon us. What an evil place to settle is the fire for us and you. They will say, Our Lord, give him who brought this on us double the punishment for his unbelief in the fire. They, meaning the unbelievers, will say in the fire, How is it that we do not see some men whom we used to count in the world among the worst of people? 
اتخذناهم سخريه did we turn them into figures of fun read as سخريه and سخريه they will notice their absence ام زاغت عنهم الابصار did our eyes disdain to, to look at them so that they cannot see them now this refers to the poor muslims like ammar bilal sahib and salman in dhalika la haqqun taqasum all this is certainly true and must occur the bickering, the bickering of the people of hell qul inna ana mundhir say muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam to the unbelievers of mecca i am only a warner about the fire wama min ilahin illa allahu alwahid alqahhar there is no god except allah the one who will conquer rabbus samawati wal ardi wama bainahuma alaziz alghaffar Lord of the heavens and the earth and everything between them, the Almighty of all things, the endlessly forgiving towards His creation. قُلْ هُوَ نَبَأٌ عَظِيمٌ Say to them, this is momentous news. أَنْتُمْ عَنْهُ مُعْرِضُونَ Yet you ignore it, meaning you turn away from the Qur'an which informs you and brings you news of that which is only known by revelation. مَا كَانَ لِيَ مِنْ عِلْمٍ بِالْمَلَئِ الْأَعْلَىٰ إِذْ يَخْتَصِمُونَ I knew nothing of the highest assembly of the angels when they debated about Adam when Allah said, I am putting a region on the earth. In verse 69, Allah says, مَا كَانَ لِيَ مِنْ عِلْمٍ بِالْمَلَىٰ الْأَعْلَىٰ إِذْ يَخْتَصِمُونَ I knew nothing of the highest assembly, meaning of the assembly of the angels when they debated. And the author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, mentions one of those disputes. Another one is what is mentioned in the hadith of Ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhum, in At-Tirmidhi. That the Prophet said, My Lord came to me last night, meaning in my dream, in the best of forms. And he said to me, O oh Muhammad, do you know what the highest company of angels disputes, argues over? So I said, I do not know, O oh my Lord. So he placed his hand between my shoulder blades until I could feel their coolness within me. And then I said, I know, O oh Allah, meaning that he gave them the knowledge. They dispute over what is the expiations. And the expiations, he continues to say, are to walk to the masjid by foot and to wait from one prayer to another and to make wudu in times of difficulty meaning when it is hard to make wudu and whoever does that and lives upon that and dies upon that then they die upon goodness and Allah knows best It is only revealed to me that I am a clear warner making the warning clear to you إِذْ قَالَ رَبُّكَ لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ إِنِّي خَالِقٌ بَشَرًا مِّن طِينٍ Remember when your Lord said to the angels, I am going to create a human being out of clay, meaning Adam. فَإِذَا سَوَّيْتُهُ وَنَفَخْتُ فِيهِ مِنْ رُوحِي فَقَعُوا لَهُ سَاجِدِينَ When I have completely formed him and breathed some of my spirit into him, so that he has life, the spirit is ascribed to Allah to honor Adam. Spirit is a subtle substance which gives life to the human being when he enters it. Fall down in prostration to him, to greet him by bowing before him. In verse 72, the author, when he comes to the word ruh, he goes into detail as concerning what the ruh is. And remember, if you cast your mind back now to Surah Al-Isra, the Rasulullah, when he came to ruh, in his conclusion, he said, that's one of the tafasir that I didn't take from my teacher. I said, and I left it as Allah says, that it is from the affairs of my Lord. Because Al-Mahalli tries to define it in his own way. And so this is one of those points that a Suyuti differed with his teacher from. Rahimahumullah. فَسَجَدَ الْمَلَائِكَةُ كُلُّهُمْ أَجْمَعُونَ So the angels prostrated, all of them together. إِلَّا إِبْلِيسَ اسْتَكْبَرَ وَكَانَ مِنَ الْكَافِرِينَ Except for Iblis, the father of the jinn, who was with the angels, who was arrogant and was one of the unbelievers in the knowledge of Allah. And as we said before, not only in the knowledge of Allah, but actually he was from the disbelievers. 
But it wasn't just in the knowledge of Allah, but by his actions of disbelief, he actually becomes a disbeliever. قال يا إبليس ما منعك أن تسجد لما خلقت بيدي. He said, Iblis, what prevented you prostrating to what I created with my own hands? This illusion of direct contacts is to show honor to Adam, as Allah created all things. أستكبرت أن كنت من العالين. Were you now overcome by arrogance, said to rebuke him, or are you one of the exalted, meaning too proud to prostrate because you are one of them? And in verse 75, we have another misinterpretation of Allah's attributes. The author says, by my own hands, this illusion of direct contact is to show honor to Adam as Allah created all things. The meaning is that Allah created him with his two hands actually. And it is not just a metaphor or an illusion. Because otherwise, why does Allah mention it? What honor is there in Adam if the creation of Adam is like every other creation? That there's no actual creating him by his two hands. Allah created everything in that way. So the, the fadila or the virtue of Adam السلام, is that Allah created him by his own hand subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so the corrective seal is that it is literal and not a metaphor. قال أنا خير منه خلقتني من نار وخلقته من طين. He said I am better than him. You created me from fire, but you created him from clay. قال فخرج منها فإنك رجيم. He said get out of the garden. It is said that this means out of the heavens. You are accursed and expelled. وإن عليك لعنتي إلى يوم الدين. My curse is upon you until the day of reckoning and repayment. قَالَ رَبِّ فَأَنظِرْنِي إِلَى يَوْمِ يُبْعَثُونَ He said, My Lord, grant me a reprieve until the day they, meaning mankind, are raised again. قَالَ فَإِنَّكَ مِنَ الْمُنظَرِينَ He said, You are among the reprieved. إِلَى يَوْمِ الْوَقْتِ الْمَعْلُومِ Until the day whose time is known. This is the time of the first blast. قَالَ فَبِعِزَّتِكَ لَأُغْوِيَنَّهُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ He said, By your might, I will mislead all of them. إِلَّا عِبَادَكَ مِنْهُمُ الْمُخْلَصِينَ Except for your chosen slaves, meaning the believers among them. قَالَ فَالْحَقُّ وَالْحَقَّ أَقُولَ He said, by the truth, read as, فَالْحَقُّ and فَالْحَقِّ فَالْحَقَّ With the fatha, فَالْحَقُّ and فَالْحَقَّ He said, by the truth, and I speak the truth. لَأَمْلَأَنَّ جَهَنَّمَ مِنْكَ وَمِمَّنْ تَبِعَكَ مِنْهُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ I will fill up hell with you, meaning your descendants and every one of them who follows you. قُلْ مَا أَسْأَلُكُمْ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ أَجْرٍ Say, I do not ask you for any wage for it, for conveying the message. وَمَا أَنَا مِنَ الْمُتَكَلِّفِينَ Nor am I a man of false pretensions. He does not lay claim to what he does not merit, meaning that the Qur'an is not from him. إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا ذِكْرٌ لِلْعَالَمِينَ It, meaning the Qur'an, is simply a reminder to all the worlds. In other words, to men and jinn and all creatures with understanding except for the angels. You will come to know, people of Mecca, the truth of what, of what it is talking about after a while, meaning after the day of resurrection. This implies an oath that will be fulfilled. Surah Al-Zumar accompanies. This surah is Meccan except for ayat 52, 53 and 54, which are Medinan. It has 75 ayat and was sent down after Sabah. So this is the 39th surah of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Zumar, referring to the groups and the companies, as will be mentioned towards the end of the surah. And it is a Makki surah, according to the vast majority of the scholars of Tafsir. And from the other names that this surah used to have, and is found in some of the classical works of Tafsir, is Surah Al-Ghuraf, the surah of chambers or rooms. Because of the verse in it that Allah says, لَهُمْ غُرَفٌ مِّنْ فَوْقِهَا غُرَفٌ مَبْنِيَةٌ 
and that is another name for this surah. And this is a hadith that is mentioned in the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. She says in the hadith in al-Bukhari al-Muslim that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would fast so many days that we would say he doesn't break his fast. And then he would stop fasting for so many days that we would think he's never going to fast. And he would read at night Surah Al-Isra and Surah Al-Zumar. Meaning before he goes to sleep as is mentioned more explicitly in the narration of At-Tirmidhi. Not necessarily in the Salah, but he wouldn't sleep until he would read these two surahs. Surah Al-Isra and Surah Al-Zumar. And that is from the virtues of the Surah of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And it is a Surah that speaks about ikhlas and sincerity and the need to worship Allah Azza wa Jal. And that's why it's reported that some of the scholars such as Ibn Qayyim Rahimahullah Ta'ala used to refer to this Surah as the second Surah Ikhlas. The second Surah Ikhlas because of how much it focuses on sincerity and the worship of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Tanzeenul Kitabi min Allahil Azizil Hakim. The revelation of the book, meaning the Quran, is from Allah, the Almighty in His Kingdom, the All-Wise in what He does. We have sent down the book to you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, with truth. So worship Allah, making your deen sincerely His, free from shirk. So proclaim His unity. Indeed, is a sincere deen, not Allah's alone. None but Him deserve it. وَالَّذِينَ اتَّخَذُوا مِن دُونِهِ أَوْلِيَاءَ مَا نَعْبُدُهُمْ إِلَّا لِيُقَرِّبُونَ إِلَى اللَّهِ زُلْفَىٰ If people take protectors, meaning idols besides him, saying, we only worship them so that they may bring us nearer to Allah. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَحْكُمُ بَيْنَهُمْ فِي مَا هُمْ فِيهِ يَخْتَلِفُونَ Allah will judge between them and the Muslims regarding the things about which they differed, concerning the deen. And the believers will enter paradise and the unbelievers hell. Allah does not guide anyone who is an ungrateful liar, lying by ascribing a son to him and ungrateful by worshipping gods other than Allah. If Allah had desired to have a son, as they maintain in saying, the All-Merciful has a son, he would have chosen whatever he wished from what, what he has created and would have had a son rather than what they say about, about the angels being the daughters of Allah Uzair being the son of Allah or the Messiah being the son of Allah Subhanah, glory be to him he is far exalted above having a child he is Allah the one the all conquering he created the heavens and the earth with truth يُكَوِّرُ اللَّيْلَ عَلَى النَّهَارِ وَيُكَوِّرُ النَّهَارَ عَلَى اللَّيْلِ وَسَخَّرَ الشَّمْسَ وَالْقَمَرَ كُلٌّ يَجْرِي لِأَجَلٍ مُسَمَّى He wraps the night around the day and it increases and wraps the day around the night and it increases and has made the sun and moon subservient each one running in their orbit for a specified term until the day of resurrection أَلَا هُوَ الْعَزِيزُ Is he not indeed the Almighty with absolute power who takes revenge on his enemies the endlessly forgiving to his friends. He created you from a single self, meaning Adam, then produced its mate, Hawa, from it. And sent down livestock, comprising camels, cattle, sheep, and goats, a male and female of each, as is explained in Surah Al An'am to you, eight kinds in pairs. 
يخلقكم في بطون أمهاتكم خلقا من بعد خلق في ظلمات ثلاث He creates you stage by stage in your mother's wombs first as a drop then a clot then a piece of flesh in a threefold darkness the darkness of the belly the darkness of the womb and the darkness of the placenta ذلكم الله ربكم له الملك that is Allah your lord sovereignty is his لا اله الا هو there is no god but him فانا تصرفون so what has made you deviate from worshiping him to the worship of something else and in verse number 6 in the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal concerning the child in the womb of the mother في ظلمات ثلاث in a threefold darkness this is the position of many of the scholars of tafsir that refers to the darkness of the belly of the womb and of the placenta Another said it refers to the darkness of the belly, the womb and the night Meaning that a child in the womb cannot differentiate between day and night And others chose the three that are mentioned by Al-Mahalli <coughs> If you are ungrateful, Allah is rich beyond need of any of you And he is not pleased with ingratitude in his slaves Even if he has will that some people worship other than him He is nevertheless not pleased with that but if you are grateful to Allah and believe, He is pleased with you for that gratitude. No burden bearer, meaning soul, can bear another's burden. Then you will return to your Lord and He will inform you of what you did. He knows what the heart contains. In verse number 7, Allah Azza wa Jal says, In takfuru Allah If you are ungrateful, Allah is rich beyond need of any of you. And that is a meaning that is mentioned clearly in the Sunnah, in the Hadith al Qudsi in Sahih Muslim, that Allah Azza wa Jal says, O oh my servants, if the first of you and the last of you and the jinn of you and the human of you were to gather and unite together and be like the worst of any from amongst you, then that will not diminish anything from my kingdom. Meaning that Allah Azza wa Jal is free of all needs and wants subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wala yarda li'ibadihi al-kufr. And he is not pleased with ingratitude from his slaves, meaning disbelief from his slaves, which clearly shows that Allah's decrees are of two types then. What Allah allows to happen from a universal point of view, Allah controls everything in the heavens and the earth, and Allah allows for it to happen. And what Allah Azza wa Jal is pleased with and ordains and legislates as something that he is pleased with subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah allows disbelief to take, take place, but he isn't pleased with it. Allah allows oppression to take place, but he isn't pleased with it. And that differentiation is an important one in understanding the issues of pre-decree and al-qadr. When harm touches an unbelieving man, he falls upon his Lord, entreating and turning to him, repenting to him. ثُمَّ إِذَا خَوَّلَهُ نِعْمَةً مِّنْهُ نَسِيَ مَا كَانَ يَدْعُوا إِلَيْهِ مِنْ قَبْلٍ وَجَعَلَ لِلَّهِ أَنْدَادًا لِيُضِلَّ عَنْ سَبِيلِهِ Then when he grants him a blessing from him, he forgets what he was calling for before from Allah and stops doing that and ascribes rivals, meaning partners to Allah. So as to misguide, read as يُضِلَّ and يَضِلَّ others from his way, meaning Islam. قُلْ تَمَتَّعْ بِكُفْرِكَ قَلِيلًا إِنَّكَ مِنْ أَصْحَابِ النَّارِ Say, enjoy your unbelief for a little while, meaning the rest of your lifespan. You are among the companions of the fire. أَمَّنْ هُوَ قَانِتٌ آنَاءَ اللَّيْلِ سَاجِدًا وَقَائِمًا يَحْذَرُ الْآخِرَةَ وَيَرْجُوا رَحْمَةَ رَبِّهِ 
What of him who spends the night hours in praying, prostrating and standing up, mindful of the next world, fearing the punishment of the next world, hoping for the mercy of his Lord in paradise? <laughs> Say, are they the same, those who know and those who do not know? Is such a person like someone who disobeys as an unbeliever? They are not equal, in the same way that a person with knowledge and an ignorant person are not equal. It is only people of intelligence who pay heed and are warned. In this verse, verse number 9, Allah says, أَمَّنْ هُوَ قَانِتٌ آنَاءَ And from the mutawatir qiraat that are mentioned uh, by Al-Mahalli rahimahullah ta'ala is the qiraat of Nafi' and Ibn Kathir, which is أَمَنْ هُوَ قَانِتٌ أَمَنْ هُوَ قَانِتٌ In which case it becomes a question. Are those who spend their night in prayer, their night hours in prayer, prostrating and standing up, mindful of the next world, like those from the disbelievers who don't spend that time praying and thinking about the next world? And so it becomes a question. And the word qunut, amman huwa qanitun, what of him who spends, uh, that's how the, the translator has chosen to, to translate the word qanit, but the word qanit means to spend in obedience, not just to spend generally, but it is the one who spends in constant obedience of their Lord. That is the word of the word qunut. As is mentioned anywhere in the Quran, qanitun. They are obedient, subservient to Allah. So the word qunut is not just simply to spend or to stand, but it is to spend and stand in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. قُلْ يَا عِبَادِ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمْ Say, slaves of mine who believe, be fearful of your Lord, and demonstrate your fear of his punishment by obeying him. لِلَّذِينَ أَحْسَنُوا فِي هَذِهِ الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةً For those who do good in this world by obeying Allah, there is good, meaning the garden. وَأَرْضُ اللَّهِ وَاسِعَةً And Allah's earth is spacious, so that it is possible to emigrate, leaving the unbelievers and the sight of objectionable things. إِنَّمَا يُوَثَّ الصَّابِرُونَ أَجْرَهُمْ بِغَيْرِ حِسَابٍ The steadfast in obedience and in the face of the tests they undergo will be paid their wages in full without any reckoning, by measure or weight. قُلْ إِنِّي أُمِرْتُ أَنْ أَعْبُدَ اللَّهَ مُخْلِصًا لَهُ الدِّينَ Say, I am commanded to worship Allah, making my deen sincerely His, free, free of any shirk. And it is because of these verses, verse 11 onwards, these few verses that will come now, as well as the verses that were mentioned at the beginning of the surah, that scholars like Ibn Qayyim ta'ala said that this, is, this surah is the second ikhlas, because they are verses that repeat the concept of worship with sincerity. وَأُمِرْتُ لِأَنْ أَكُونَ أَوَّلَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ And I am commanded to be the first of the Muslims of this community. قُلْ إِنِّي أَخَافُ إِنْ عَصَيْتُ رَبِّي عَذَابَ يَوْمٍ عَظِيمٍ Say, I fear, were I to disobey my Lord, the punishment of a terrible day. قُلِ اللَّهَ أَعْبُدُ مُخْلِصًا لَهُ دِينِي Say, it is Allah I worship, making my deen sincerely His, free of any shirk. فَاعْبُدُوا مَا شِئْتُمْ مِنْ دُونِهِ So worship anything you will apart from him. This is a threat to them and an announcement that they do not worship Allah Almighty. Allah says, قُلْ إِنَّ الْخَاسِرِينَ الَّذِينَ خَسِرُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ وَأَهْلِيهِمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Say, the real losers are those who lose themselves and their families on the day of rising. This is because their souls will be in the fire forever and will not reach the huris that would have been made ready for them in the garden if they had believed. Is not that a clear loss? They will have awnings made of fire above them and awnings below them. 
By that, Allah strikes fear into his slaves, meaning the believers who fear him. Ya ibadi fattakun. So be fearful, my slaves of me. وَالَّذِينَ اجْتَنَمُوا الطَّاغُوتَ أَنْ يَعْبُدُوهَا وَأَنَابُوا إِنَ اللَّهِ لَهُمُ الْبُشْرَى فَبَشِّرْ عِبَادِ Those who shun the worship of false gods, meaning idols, and turn towards Allah, will have good news of paradise. So give good news to my slaves. الَّذِينَ يَسْتَمِعُونَ الْقَوْلَ فَيَتَّبِعُونَ أَحْسَنَةِ Those who listen well to what is said and follow the best of it, that in which their best interest lies. أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ هَدَاهُمُ اللَّهُ وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمْ أُولُ الْأَلْبَابِ They are the ones whom Allah has guided. They are the people of intelligence. In verse 18, Allah Azza wa says, الَّذِينَ يَسْتَمِعُونَ الْقَوْلَ فَيَتَّبِعُونَ أَحْسَنَةِ Those who listen well to what is said and follow the best of it. And the scholars of tafsir differ as to what is being referred to in terms of what is being said. From them are those who go quite general, as Al-Mahalli has done, that it is any good statement. So that could be someone's statement that is full of wisdom, someone mentions a point of benefit. Anything that you benefit from and follow is what is being referred to here. And others from the scholars constricted or restricted it more just to the Qur'an. And perhaps a, a statement of uh, uh, Shaykh Muhammad Ramin al-Shaqiti rahimahullah is from the best tafsir of this. And that is that he says that it refers to the revelation of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. To follow what you hear of the Qur'an and the Sunnah and to follow in the best of ways, to listen to it well and follow it in the best of ways is what Allah Azza wa is praising. They are the people of understanding and they are the people of guidance. But as for those against whom the decree of punishment, which is found in the words, I will fill hellfire, is justly carried out, can you rescue and bring out those who are in the fire? You cannot guide such people and save them from the fire. لَكِنِ الَّذِينَ اتَّقَوْا رَبَّهُمْ لَهُمْ غُرَفٌ مِّن فَوْقِهَا غُرَفٌ مَبْنِيَّةٌ تَجْرِي مِّن تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارُ But those who are fearful of their Lord and obey Him will have high-ceilinged halls, and more such halls built one above the other, and rivers flowing under them. وَعْدَ اللَّهِ That is Allah's promise. لَا يُخْلِفُ اللَّهُ الْمِعَادِ Allah does not break His promise. أَلَمْ تَرَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ أَنزَلَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً فَسَلَكَهُ يَنَابِيعَ فِي الْأَرْضِ ثُمَّ يُخْرِجُ بِهِ زَرْعًا مُخْتَلِفًا أَلْوَانُهُ ثُمَّ يَهِيجُ فَتَرَاهُ مُصْفَرًّا ثُمَّ يَجْعَلُهُ حُطَامًا Do you not see and know that Allah sends down water from the sky which penetrates the earth and threads it through the earth to emerge the springs and then by it springs brings forth crops of varying colors which then dry and wither and you see them turning yellow after having been green, and then he makes them into broken stubble. There is a reminder in that for people of intelligence, who are reminded by that of the evidence it provides of the oneness and power of Allah Almighty. And so, inshallah, I think we will stop there, which is the verse 21 of Surah Al-Zumar. And inshallah ta'ala we will stop then till tomorrow. Sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.